I'm getting so many responses from people today because of what we're going to do today on today's show. By the way, as we always started out, big shells. Oh, yeah. Big shells. I gave you two of them today. So I'm laying in my bed. Maybe too much information for some of you. I get a call from a guy from a studio in New York City named Craig Carton. And he goes, what's going on in Philly? I go, why? He goes, holy cow. Eagles are in a full court press to suppress the story, to suppress anything negative about them. This is the only show in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, that you're going to get the straight facts. Today on the show, bottom of the hour, Angelo Cataldi. Top of the hour, Seth Joyner. 430, a national perspective, our good friend Jason Cole. Hall of Fame voter. We're packed and with you. Let me get this going here. I got to tell you something, man. There's a lot of people that don't want this show on the air anymore. One day it's this, one day it's that. They don't want this show on the air. Tough. You think I'm going to hide under my desk? You're out of your mind. You're out of your mind. It's all I need to know. Mm -mm. You see, I'm not making anything personal here. Strictly business. The Philadelphia Eagles management, from the general manager and the responsibility of the owner down to the puppet head coach, is a train wreck right now. It's officially a train wreck. <laughs> Steve goes, you do talk a lot of shit, Sills. Well, you think because I'm in the media, the media made me talk shit? I've been talking shit since I was 17 years old. It's documented. Your boy Mike Missinelli wrote a book about Jerome and I. It's chronicled. Rick Riley called me the mouth of the South, and I was 19. Nothing's changed. See, that's what you have to understand when you come here to this program. I've been this way since I was 19 years old. Actually, probably younger because I was talking shit in high school. So let's get to the context of the show. <laughs> What's a bigger train wreck, you think, in the last six years? with Howie Roseman and Jeffrey Lurie, the firing of Doug Peterson or the retaining of Nick Sirianni? What's a bigger train wreck? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I hate 
to be on a fence, you know I do. What's what's the bigger train wreck? You see, you can't fire Nick because you can't justify Doug when you do that. You can't just justify the firing of Doug Peterson. Once again, this is not personal. I could give two shits about the owner or the GM or the coach. This is exactly what I see on a daily basis and how they behave, how they lie, how they act, how they cover. It's disgusting. It's not genuine. I mean... Let's go here now with Derek Gunn's reporting. Hertz can't handle his contract. Now you got Fletcher Cox. According to Howard Eskin, the sideline Eagle shill, saying that some of the players had issues with Jalen Hurts's demeanor. Doesn't he mean leadership on the sidelines? I thought Fletcher Cox was sticking up for everyone. What happened? As this thing unravels more, Jalen Hurts' leadership is back in question again. Gee, Carson Wentz. Interesting what happens when you pay people. Then it comes to a head that your head football coach needs a babysitter because he's immature. That would be a position on my football team that I wouldn't want immaturity, my head coach. No wonder Hertz was smacking his hand down numerous times when he was flipping the fans off and shit. Let me read you the timeline. All courtesy of the Craig Carton Show. On 12-3, Niners beat the piss out of the Eagles. Start a three-game slide. Big Dom is ejected from the game. 12-18, Hertz says, team isn't committed enough. What? Remember he had to walk it back because the Eagle PR department wanted him to clarify I wouldn't ask my quarterback ever to clarify anything. If he says that there needs to be commitment more, I would have left it lie there because you know why? I want my quarterback to develop leadership too. I don't want to stunt that also like he did his passing game in his game this year. This guy's protected like he's in witness protection program. Let the guy be the guy on and off the field. Leave him alone. Because you pay him $50 million, you treat him different? Personally, I don't think Hurts looks at himself different. I think the Eagles look at him differently. One three on my birthday. A.J. Brown breaks his silence. There's another guy today. By the way, if it wasn't his account, Twitter or X would shut it down. There's... 
did he, one of the biggest things that Elon Musk said, remember what he said? Imposters that have accounts will automatically be shut down. It's a big priority at X that if it's not his account, they would have shut it down. And if that were me and somebody was tweeting bullshit out for my account, which has happened in the past. Oh, I see. He gets the latitude. Some asshole in Tampa tweets some shit out. I have to eat that for 18 fucking years? Own it, AJ. Own it. Until they shut it down, it's AJ Brown. Kevin Byard. Too many divisive leaks. What? Guy's only been there five days. Then you're crushed by the Bucks on the 15th of January. Then in the offseason, Sirianni's retained and the entire coaching staff almost is fired. Then you got the D-Gun report yesterday. Fletcher Cox saying, Hertz isn't a leader. I'm paraphrasing that. And here we are. Your cheerleader coach is responsible for this. He's not qualified to be the head coach of the Philadelphia Eagles. He's not qualified. You know why he's not qualified? It takes a bit of maturity to have that job. That's a job that is a job of leadership. You have to show stability. You can't get too high and too low when things are going great or things are going shitty. Marshall says, whoever accounted is, they are telling the truth. Philly media are gossip queens. Of course, you would go that route. Hey, Britton Covey, you owe Barrett Brooks an apology. You owe Barrett Brooks an apology. Almost all of you in here owe him an apology. He lied. He lied. Jalen's a great guy. Fletcher Cox is questioning his leadership. Covey said it twice. Walked it back once. Called Brooks a liar who said it on this program. Hmm. Not a chance you're a Super Bowl contender. Not a chance. Could you be? Oh, yeah. Got a joke of a GM. Hey, hey, personal message to Howie. Worry about building your defense. Don't worry about what I'm saying. There's more to come. Would you think this was going to be easy? 
That organization may need a proctologist after I'm done today. You ain't getting that shit over on me. And you can make up all the shit you want. You have lied all year. You have walked back numerous comments. You made stories up in Seattle. You made your quarterback walk back a comment. Team isn't committed enough to direct shot at the head coach and the organization. And you made him walk it back. Pathetic. And people expect Belichick and Harbaugh to want to come to this clown show. What's crazy is they got the players to do it. Because I'm going to ask you a question here. Do you really think it's a, a personnel problem? Or is it a culture problem that you have with this Eagle team right now? Angelo Cataldi will be at the bottom of the hour. Seth at the top of the hour. I mean... Who would want to play there right now? With a lame duck coach. Oh my God, you should see it like a, it's like a street cleaner. Eagles are everywhere right now trying to clean this thing up. They got a garden hose out. Pretty soon a fire hose. Checking personal accounts, Twitters, radio shows, TV shows. You know, it's funny. When they want a message out, they go to the national guys. When they want to clean shit up, they go to the local guys and threaten them. This is an internal issue. By the way, I know you're watching at the Novacare Center. Everything I'm saying is true. Not hyperbole. You should hear the media people calling me. 4.30 in the morning, my time. I get a national television guy calling me from a studio going, what the fuck is going on? I get Jacob Allman, president of content at Fox, going, what the fuck is going on? You're more worried about what I say than any guy in Philly right now. Would we not say that, Xander? The Eagles are more worried about what I'm saying than anybody else in that city.
And, and the D gun reporting yesterday, got to hand it to Derek. He's one of the good ones when it comes to reporting. He's not afraid. That's the problem with today in our sports media. There's too many snakes. And what happens is there's too many knee, knee benders. Embarrassed to be an Eagle fan? No. No, no, no. Don't be embarrassed to be an Eagle fan. You see, these people will come and go. Do you know because let me let me let me make something very clear to you guys. Okay? Let me let me make it very clear. University of Miami. I don't I think Xander knows this. They kicked me off campus. I wasn't allowed to go to the facility or be around the team at the Hard Rock. Because I called the team and the school out and the president and I ripped her a new one, Donna Shalala, who destroyed my program. I was barred. It didn't take till common sense came in and Coach Reich and everyone came in and the new athletic director and everyone has so since embraced me back. You see, I'll always be a hurricane. And I'll always love my program. Don't ever fucking tell me what to say about a program that I helped build. And you are the people that built Lincoln Financial. Don't ever tell the people that are in here that they don't have a right to bitch about what they see with the, the disposable income that the Eagles think you have. Wait, to, wait until those ticket prices go up. I can't wait to see how much because it hurts his contract. That's next. You're going to have to eat that thing. Is it a culture thing or talent thing? Both? Suck-ass job building that defense? The culture right now that's in shambles. Self-imposed, self-inflicted. It's like you put a 38 to your own head. I mean... Ten and one to being embarrassing. Fire Nick? Are you kidding me? He's Howie and Jeffrey's Pied Piper. Are you crazy? He's perfect for the gig. Perfect. I, I I love how there's a certain part of the Eagle fan base that just for whatever reason, no matter when a person like me, because the artist formerly known as Jackass, says something dumb like that. Atta oh, you know, when people attack the messenger, always remember, people like him don't want to hear the truth ever. 
because they know what I'm saying. And they just want to bring attention to their little anthill. Remember, LJ stands on an anthill, you know? And I give him a little time of day. Then he can go back in his little corner with his little cellophane hat on. And I'll get to him Friday. Go ahead, son. I'll get back to you in a couple days. I'll make you feel better about yourself for the weekend. So you can go around kissing your own ass over the weekend. So you'll recognize me. Can you believe it? <laughs> Don't worry, son. I'll wave my wand and I'll and I'll and I'll lay I'll I'll give you some love here in a minute. This whole thing's so pathetic, it's disgusting. Okay. It, 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 this thing's offensive to players. It's offensive when you got to walk comments back and you got to worry about people coming down on you for shit you say if you're an Eagle player. It's it, it, it's really, when, when, when you think about it, they put all these guardrails on these players. They can't say anything, can't do anything, can't criticize anybody. Who are you? Who do you think you are? These are grown men. If they got something shitty to say about somebody like Jason Kelsey or Fletcher Cox, you have no right to tell those players they can't say anything. As long as you're not attacking somebody personally and it's about your job, I don't think there's a problem with someone going, hey, man, we didn't have the right scheme last year. Or we made too many changes in the coaching staff. It confused a lot of players. Is there really anything wrong with that? But you get so butthurt over things that are said like that. Why? Why don't you grow up also? What is wrong with you? I mean, it is such a horrible environment to play and work. The Eagles have one of the absolute worst environments right now in the National Football League for the players in that locker room. It went from really, get this, what's crazy about this? This thing went from being a great culture to the shittiest culture maybe in the league. Overnight. Overnight. Steve Godin is big mad today. Yeah, because it's offensive. It's offensive that you would implode your team from within. I don't mind getting beat on Sundays. Players understand it's the NFL. I mind when you're putting me in a shitty position to fail. And you're sabotaging the team. Well, then again, we've seen sabotage. Doug's final game as an Eagle head coach. That was pure sabotage. This almost borderlines that. Notorious for sabotaging things and people. It's a creepy culture. Who to draft that linebacker? Who to draft that safety? What to do with the cap? It's irrelevant. 
when you have a shitty culture. BBW, I believe that. BBW, I think there's only like 5% little snowflake dudes. And by the way, LJ knows he and I go back and forth. We're good. You should be offended the way they run their business. I get a freaking call at 4.30 in the morning my time. What's going on? Jacob Bowman, the president of content from Fox Sports. What's going on? The Eagles are in street cleaner mode. Let me tell you something. Those people that run that team have gone from a great culture to the shittiest culture in the National Football League for players to win. And it's driven from the top down. Top down. IP, Fanatic, all the rest of these places, they have the, they have the knee pads that have Howie and Roseman on them. And the owner. You ain't getting that here. Let me tell you something. The guy who I, I, I confide in reminded me of how I got to where I was as a broadcaster. If I lost jobs before, you bet. You know why? Because you're not going to freaking tell me how to run my show or what to say. Right here, baby. I follow this book like the map of Gibraltar. You know where it takes me? To the way that pathetic organization runs itself. I, what, what's a bigger disaster? Firing Doug Peterson or retaining Doug's or uh, retaining Sirianni? Angelo's last week on IP, one of the most celebrated. Let me tell you this. Him, Francesa and Dog, maybe Hacksaw out west, Gary Radnich in San Francisco. Those are the dudes that I was raised on. Those were the dudes. We're proud to have him here with us. Angelo Cataldi, who joins us now here on the National Football Show. Hopefully we can get it connected. There we go. How you doing, Angel? I'm hoping to get an autographed copy of those knee pads if I can, Dan. I, <laughs> they didn't have them oh when I worked God. over at WIP. I guess that must be something they sent over in the past year. They probably got it got it branded or something so they could make No, some no, no. It's in a gift bag. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. All I know is this, Dad. I'm going to watch everything I say very carefully now because I don't want the Eagles calling my boss. My boss now is my wife, and she <laughs> she, she probably would agree with them. So I, I don't want to get them too mad. <laughs> this is Oh, madness. yeah. Well, Angelo, I think you've gone through enough wars yourself back in the day. <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? It became a badge of honor, Dan. It really did. When the Eagles would call WIP, and talk to my bosses about something I said. It would sometimes get back to me, sometimes not. But in either case, I would feel proud 
that I was doing my job, that even on the flagship station of that Eagles team, that when they did something I thought was wrong or stupid or whatever, I would call them out as loud as I could. And uh, I that's the proudest thing I was about the 33 years. I didn't give a damn what they thought of what I said. And it made me absolutely, it, it gave me a shield. I, so many people in the media now are afraid of some negative reaction. I told you off the air, Dan, when Bob Lang called your bosses to complain about you, that was like that was like receiving an award. You are doing your job the right way. You are holding a team accountable. That's your job. And the people that aren't doing it, shame. Shame on all of them. Angelo, let me get into D Gunn's report. Um, you've obviously dealt with Derek Gunn numerously. Yes. And you've you've had great conversations, and I happen to respect his work. Yeah. First, he says that there was an issue with the way that Jalen was handling the contract and he didn't handle it well. Right. But what the troubling thing was, was when he said that Sirianni needed, and I'm paraphrasing here, a babysitter <laughs> on the sidelines. Right. Because I'm taking it this way, Angelo, that he was too immature for the job. How did you take that report? Growing pains. I'm still not writing him off. I love that kid. I think um, I, I, I haven't changed my opinion of this whole season, Dan. And Angelo, let yeah. me stop there with you for yeah. one second on it. When I got 400 grand, yeah. Hey, right. I wasn't the same dude. When I signed right. my bonus, mm. I wasn't the same guy either. So, Going through that experience also with everybody's yeah. handout, yeah, I completely also agree. Yeah, no, I don't think it I, I think he was poorly coached. I think it was it was on and off the field. What you saw on the field was awful play calling, no ability to stop the blitz, none of the things coaches are required to do are getting done. We can assume the same thing happened off the field that in the locker room. You do have to develop a camaraderie with your quarterback. You have to be on the same page with them. And there's no indication that Brian Johnson or Nick Sirianni were. That is why it is so amazing that Nick Sirianni survived this. It is astounding that that clown show he was a part of for the last seven weeks didn't get him fired. And obviously, the Philadelphia Eagles now, are of the opinion that anybody that provides criticism to Sirianni or to the organization, God forbid, or to the owner, oh dear, that anybody that does that, it's open season for them. They lost six of the last seven games. If you're kissing your ass now, if you're putting on Dan's knee pads, then you know what? You're not doing your job, damn it. They should be angry at what, what's being said about him. They created it with that awful end of the season, historical collapse. You don't get praise when that happens, Bob Lang and the PR staff at the Eagles. You get it with both barrels. If you're doing a great job like Dan Cilio and like or even Craig Cart right now is going after him. Good for him. 
Go get them. Go get them. They deserve it. Top of the hour, we're also going to have Seth Joyner. I'll make sure you tell Seth that you said hi. I mean, what do you think has been the worst decision they've made in the last six years? Firing of Doug or retaining of Nick? Firing of Doug because they had a great coach. I know he didn't do great at the end of the year in Jacksonville. I've heard all that. He was, he created a, a great culture. He won a Super Bowl with his backup quarterback. He knows the game. He's bold. He's dynamic. And he was taking more control of his own fate. And they wouldn't let him. That's why he wasn't there. The reason you see in all this, it's all Lurie. It's Jeff Lurie. And the fact that he has lived this this wonderful life where he was born on third base and thinks he hit a triple. He a big part of a publishing family, and he does not tolerate anyone around him that is pushing back ever. Do you understand? That is why right now the PR people are out trying to get Dan because Larry does not want to hear any negative comments about his team, even when they blow it, even when they fall apart. He does not. All he deals with is puppetry. And what he's got in Sirianni now is a guy that will do his bidding at all costs because it's the only way he kept his job. How, how did you survive this? I just, you know, I'll tell you why. And, and the, the money, the ratings and revenue had to be the key to yeah. this because it had to be. Because that Odyssey was a big takes part of it. If now. the numbers weren't there, they wouldn't have done it. But here's what people don't understand, Dan. And when it came down to it, the Eagles hated me. More days than they liked me. They hated me a lot of the time. All you need to know is this. In 33 years, Jeff Lurie, the owner of the team, came on our show one time. Barack Obama came on twice. Uh, okay. <laughs> the president, we got twice. The owner of the Eagles once, and we were the flagship station. He didn't want to hear any negativity, all right? But the truth of the matter is they deserve to get it and they're getting it right now. And they deserve every, they deserve everything you're saying, everything other people are saying, and they're blessed that people like me are not there anymore, that we're not screaming from the rooftops, representing the fans who are still in pain over how that season ended. There's nobody representing them now, Dan, other than you. I hate to say it because it's my old station, but nobody's coming at him that way anymore. No one is. And it's like... How did Howard turn into such a shill for the team? Be, oh, that's simple. They they gave him access. Howard, Howard, all Howard ever needed, Howard Eskin and any part of what he was doing was, will you give me access? Will you answer my calls? Will you give me inside stock? Can I stand on the sideline? As long as they did that, Howard was going to going to give them the benefit of their doubts. But um, it's not the way you do the job. You know the way you do the job? The way you're doing it right now, Dan. You give your honest opinion, and when it's negative, you let it rip. And don't worry about what they're saying, because here's the bottom line on my relationship with the Eagles. All those times they bitched, and they bitched a lot. When it came time to do the next deal for the broadcast contract, how did WIP 
keep getting it because they paid a dollar more than anybody else. In the end, it was just business. And when you're on the air and you're giving your opinion, that's just business too. So I, just give it. Give it. I, personally, Angelo, I don't give a shit about them. I give you my opinion, whether you that's like it. it or not. It's nothing personal. Yeah. Like the Godfather said, yeah. this is not personal. This is business here. And when I see a train wreck at the end of the season, and yeah. what made it such a train wreck, Angelo, it was such a dichotomy in seasons. You're 10 and 1, you're rolling. You're rolling towards home field. Then you blow the team up. And you're going like, it's like, I've never seen a team blow up like that. Yeah. Something eternally happened. And now you know what happened inside the building. You got Fletcher Cox now saying this too. How about do you, I mean, this is from Howard even, which is mm. shocks me. He must have been given the okay to say this, that Fletcher Cox said that he didn't really like and some of the players didn't like Jalen Hurts' behavior yeah. and demeanor on the sidelines. Yeah, I saw it. And, 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 and it wasn't ideal. And it wouldn't have happened with better coaches. A better coach would have. Well, how about stronger coaches? Stronger, stronger. Yeah. Somebody on the sideline who he can really bond with, who can take him down and said, Jalen, you got to be more part of the team. You can't sulk. You, you got to do. He's still a young guy. He's 25 years old, Dan. He's still a young guy. And you're right. He's got all this money now. So he can say, screw you. He's got screw you money now. But I don't think he will. I think he's, he's, probably one of my top three favorite people in that organization now because he's committed to winning. He's honest with people. He does answer honestly. He doesn't give you a lot, but he doesn't lie to you. He doesn't. And, and he's not afraid of criticism. He deals with it. He's a man. He's, he's figuring it out. Just give him the right coaches, put him with the right people and you will see his skill set. It's phenomenal. He has the right mindset. He's certainly got the intelligence. He's got the talent. Don't give him coaches that have no idea what the hell they're doing. He'll be fine. He will be fine. The problem he's got now is he's still got Sirianni there, who couldn't figure it out last year, so he ain't going to figure it out this year. You got to hope the new offensive coordinator does. That's your hope now. Angelo, I, I know you're swamped today, so a couple last ones here for you. I want to read you the Eagle timeline. 49ers, um, they absolutely destroyed the, the Eagles on 12-3, started a three-game slide. 12-18, Hertz comes out and says, the team isn't committed enough. And if you remember right, yeah. whomever – made the quarterback walk those comments back. I would never want my quarterback to walk comments back like that right. because I'm trying to develop leadership with him as well. Right. Then I'm 1-3. A.J. Brown breaks his silence. And one thing on A.J. too, I know you saw this one. The thing with A.J., Twitter or X, whatever you want to call it, is really big on imposters. And imposters who have accounts, they shut them down. Either AJ's allowing someone to tweet for him, it's still coming from his account. He's accountable and responsible for those comments. Yep. Shut it down. Call yep. X. They'll shut it down if you don't want it. Personally, Angelo, I think he wants it. Kevin Byard on 1-6. Too many divisive leaks. 
what? He's only been there two days. <laughs> 115, crushed by the Bucks in the wild card in the offseason. Sirianni's retained, and almost the entire staff is fired. The D-Gun report comes out yesterday. I mean, this has been a shit show. Yeah, it has. And you know what? I'm going to tell you, when they were 10-1, I wasn't impressed anyway. No, we, no we, we kept we going. Ain't it. So they weren't even they – would, they were getting away with it, but it, you know, eventually it was going to catch them, and it did. It was an awfully coached team with bad people above them overseeing it. And it's an organization that, as of today – is is too damn sensitive about criticism when they deserve it. And I'm going to just say this directly to the public relations department of the Philadelphia Eagles, because I would say it to them to their face. Uh, you want to call my boss because I'm saying something critical about your team? You want to endanger my job, the job that feeds my kids? You really want to do that? Well, be careful. Because I'll tell you right to you, I told them through intermediaries many times to go to hell or to go after themselves right to their face. I don't care what you do to me. I'm going to give my honest opinion. And how dare they try to get people in trouble with their bosses because they're doing their job? Why doesn't the Eagles worry about doing their job? Why don't they win a few games? <laughs> I almost did it. I almost <laughs> dropped the bomb. I'm telling you, Dan, Dan, it's not many times I've wanted to be on the air just to yell and scream, but this week is one of them because calling your boss, calling Carton's boss, trying to do that kind of stuff, it's beneath the, the brand, the Eagles brand. It's beneath them, and, and they need to forget about that and stop paying attention to what they're doing because they screwed it up royally this year. And they should just sit there and take the criticism because they deserve it. Angelo, I'm going to leave you with that. How's the book coming? Book's great. Audio book soon. Don't know the exact date. I will be doing a signing from 11 to 1 at the Philadelphia Convention Center at a big collector's convention on Saturday. Come on out if you want. We can rip the Eagles together. <laughs> Angelo, thank you for your guidance, your help, and everything you do for me. I have more respect for you today than any than either Dan. Now they're bitching about you to your bosses. You're doing a great job. Keep it up. Thank you, Angelo. I appreciate it. Angelo Cataldi. Seth Joyner at the top of the hour. You want to know why Seth's not a linebacker coach? Do you want to know why Seth is not a linebacker coach for your organization? Now you know. Now you know. Angelo's right. They're making conversations everywhere. Not just here. Everywhere. Daily. Bullying people. 
Not happening. Not happening. Hey, Callie Green, what you worry about your shitty football team instead of what someone says? Ripping messengers instead of your team? You sound stupid. You sound stupid. Well, he's, what he's saying is not. Guy was on the air for 33 years, and he was in the market for 50 as a communist on the Inquirer. And in the mornings where you supported him for 33 years. And he's an asshole, right? Okay. Philly media, including you, Dan, is toxic. What have I said that's a lie? Name one lie. One lie. You know, I get the conversation of being called controversial. I never in a million years ever thought being honest and direct was controversial. Making lies up is not controversial. You're just a liar. When you say the truth with conviction, you're controversial. That's in essence what it is. I never in a million years, I've told you guys this. Okay, and and, and uh, LJ goes, all due respect, Sills, no one respects Angelo. Well, they must have for 50 years. They they read him and they listened to him. How can that be? That LJ, that's not a factual comment. No, no. And LJ, I appreciate that tail end there. Thank you. But, uh, but how can that be a pos- You know what? Somebody says this about me all the time, too. They'll go like this and they'll say this. Okay, they'll say this. Silly O, you have sucked. You're right. I've sucked for 33 years. That's how long I've been on the air. That's how long I've been on the air. So I've sucked for 33 years? Okay. Angelo's very hated. That's the truth, unfortunately. You see, LJ, I don't care if you hate me or love me. I care you listen to me. That's the difference. You think I'm A-Rod? I'm not looking to be loved. I'm looking to be listened to. Having someone love me, love is fleeting. I'd rather be respected and have people watch me than love me. I don't care if you love me. Most of you will not because most people don't like direct people. See, I was coached that way and raised that way. My grandfather, a fireman from Stanford, Connecticut, old school Italian guy, when I was a young kid, they spoke Italian and then they spoke English. It they went 50-50 with me when I was raised in their home. I was raised in a home that the people that raised me spoke Italian. And this guy had black or white. There's no gray area in my pop's house. There was no gray area. None of that. None of that. And I respect people that I respect people that tell the truth and are genuine. You got a head coach who's not either. Let me tell you this, man. 
this has got nothing to do with linebackers. And man, I hope to God I didn't write. Oh, I didn't write any of that shit down today. Linebackers and salary cap. We're a little beyond that right now. Don't you think? This is a culture issue. You basically have to take a blowtorch and clean the walls off after how bad you shit on the locker room this offseason. Let me say this to you guys. You guys have made this thing happen for us. They're concerned by what you're listening to and hearing. Media, too. They're concerned. Seth Joyner's going to join us at the top of the hour. I'm not... You know what, Slagger? Dan, you're in good company if they're trying to censor or cancel you. Slagger, do you know what a nightmare it was for me to convince? No, that wasn't a nightmare. To convince Xander and Joe Krause that the things that were written about me in the past were not true. And that I may have said some things, but how many things people lied about? Xander gets a full dose of it daily. A full dose of it. That's right. And you know what? You know what they did? Xander said, no way. I think there's something special about him. This is when I was doing 60 views a show. Kept it going. It was actually Xander that changed the room and put me in a in a direction and on a highway direction. And I took it from there. And what I've learned from you guys, content is king, particular content's king. Sitting around and talking about the idiotic NBA or baseball right now and spring training, that ain't happening. You have a culture issue in your Eagle locker room, folks. You need to fix that before you fix your linebacking core, your corners. Seth Joyner's going to join us here, so I'm going to take a timeout now. Seth's going to join me at the top of the hour here. Hit the like button, and the linebacker that won't be hired by your bosses or the Eagle guys, and we're proud to have him at Jacob, is next. Hit the like button. Keep it here, National Football Show.
Go for the pulse and the pools. Go for the ooze and the oz. Go for the bubbles and the bubbly. Go for the story and the stories. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. Sales National Football Show. We're going to talk to our friend Seth Joyner in a couple minutes here. It's been pretty interesting the last 24 hours. Craig Carton just posted. Um, and by the way, Craig's going to be with us on Monday. And we will talk to him on Monday and get his take. But here's Carton, what he just he just posted. So according to the Eagles, Schill or, I mean, sideline reporter and old pal of mine, Howard Eskin, there's no merit to what I said, but yes, Fletcher Cox and several other players had a real problem with Jalen Hurts throughout this past year, and Cox was stern about it. Me, too. Philly, nothing. Craig called me this morning at 4.30, my time. I'm laying in bed, I'm asleep. He's doing a national television show, an FS1. I'm like, what's going on? Xander's texting me. I got Jacob Ullman from Fox Sports texting me. What's going on? I'm like, what are you talking about? What's going on with the Eagles? And they're doing a cleanup with all this stuff that's going on with this Derek Gunn report. I'm like, I didn't put the report out. It's not mine. I don't know. You see, 
That's what you guys have to understand. People will all of a sudden somehow try to identify me with a post or a, a report. And I'm like, that's not my report. I'm not a reporter. I didn't put that out there. Yeah, but you commented on it. I'm not allowed to comment on sports stories that pertain to a team I cover. I, I can't. I'm not now. I'm not allowed to talk about the damn team that had a nuclear meltdown, a Chernobyl meltdown at the end of the year. And all year long, I told you when you were ten and one, that ain't the team that you're looking at. I saw the one and seventeen. You guys kept posting. How many days did you post that stupid shit? Ten and one, ten and two. How many days? Every day. Ain't the ten and one team. You're the one and seventeen. Ernest says I'm a season ticket holder. After hearing this shit, I'll never attend. Ernest, that's not what this is about here. That's not. That's not what um. That is not what I'm doing here. Absolutely not. I don't want you to lose your passion for your team. Those people will come and go. You will always be a Philadelphia Eagle fan to the day you die. You're just frustrated. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to be pissed off at something that you love. Pissed off at my old lady every day. So is she at me. It's okay. I don't leave. Been with her 33 years. And Xander knows she's a psycho too. Okay. All right. I mean, and I have no problem saying that. She has no problem calling me one. It's all good. Don't drop your tickets. Drop your tickets. It's not what we're doing here. You see? Angelo's right. Why are you so concerned about the narrative of how you're perceived? Is your owner really that sensitive that he doesn't like any criticism with people like me or Angelo or anybody that says anything negative, Craig Carton or anyone, that he doesn't really like that? Why would he care? He's a billionaire. What's the point? My God. Let me say this to you. If I had a billion dollars and somebody said some shit about me, I would laugh at you. I wouldn't scream at you. And I'd get into my Ferrari and go, hey, take care, kid. I'll see you down the road. Man, fixing linebackers.
And you know what people go to immediately with Craig? They go to his time that he spent in jail. Yeah, like the next time anybody in here tells me that they believe in redemption or someone doing the right job with their life, okay? And you you say that you believe in rehabilitation. You're a liar. You don't believe in giving people second chances. I do. Craig's a friend of mine. I support him like I support all my friends. You guys were giving me shit when I was supporting Michael Irvin. And I said Michael Irvin did not do the things that they're saying he did at the Marriott. And you guys crucified me for it. He turned out to be right. He got his jobs back. They care more about the narrative than they do fixing the team. There's two things that I think the Eagles care more about. Control and the narrative. Maybe they're intertwined. Maybe they're intertwined with one another. Okay? Sales, most people don't believe a convicted felon. So you think Martha Stewart's a piece of shit because she went to jail? Shit, she did more jail time than Snoop Dogg. She a scumbag? She's done more time in jail as a felon than Snoop Dogg. Should I call her a scumbag too? I don't think anything of it. I'm not talking about people beating people up and killing people here. I'm talking about stupid shit. Okay? She's done more time than Snoop Dogg. <laughs> How about that? And next time you see those two together, always remember that. And a woman did more time than Snoop. Snoop beat the charge. Yeah, okay, sure. How about Snoop was innocent? Anyway, I don't give a shit about that. Sirianni has now gone into the official barrel of being a clown. He has. Okay, he's gone into the official barrel here. Okay. We're efforting our friend Seth Joyner here. Hopefully we're going to get him on here in a couple minutes. He said that he would carve some time out for us today. We're hoping to get him on. Okay. I Here. Could all this news and all this noise and the, and the report of gun and what Fletcher's saying, could the Eagles still make a move? And would you make that move and replace Sirianni now? Or does it even matter? You can't. How about this? I'm going to make a comment to you. You cannot go into the 2024 season with Nick Sirianni as your head football coach. You cannot. You cannot have him as your coach. He cannot be your coach. You need to replace him immediately. I'll tell you something, man. You guys asked me last year 
How about Seth Joyner, DC, or linebacker coach? Are you crazy? They would never allow a guy like that in their building with opinions like him, and he's direct. And you know why Seth is awesome at what he does? Because he's genuine and honest. Something people have a tough time doing. I'm not controversial. I'm just honest. I didn't realize telling the truth made people that uncomfortable. That's a shit show going on. That is a culture in that building right now. Derek Gunn's not going to throw shit against the wall like that. I may. He ain't. The coach needs a babysitter? Fletcher Cox is throwing shade at leadership? Let's talk to a leader that was by far one of the greatest leaders. And I've made a comment to many of my friends in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're putting linebackers into the Hall of Fame that don't deserve to be in the Hall of Fame next to this guy. He's one of the preeminent linebackers of the 80s. And you could say whatever you want about him. And I love who he was on that team of just massive characters and massive winners. Our friend Seth Joyner. Seth, I appreciate you doing this. Thank you, brother. Damn, what's going on, man? Seth, I'll get right to it, man. What did you make of the D-Gun report? And I'm going to paraphrase it by Jalen Hurts not being able to handle. Now, you know, I talked to Angelo a couple minutes ago, and I said, hey, look, when I got 400 grand, I wasn't the same dude. I acted like a jackass, too. It took me time to gather myself, Seth. So, I mean, when you've never had it and you get it, 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 it it's – it's a change in your whole thing, so I kind of get it. More people are reaching out for you. But the back end of that tweet on X is that Sirianni lost his poison, needed to have Dom near him as a babysitter, sort of, so that he can control his emotions. What's your takeaway to this? Well, I mean... Yeah, I, I guess it goes to, you know, decision-making when you are hiring him as a head coach. You know, not everyone is built. Not everyone is ready to be a head coach, you know, when they're given the opportunity. Um, that's pretty darn evident when you see the six to seven turnover um, in head coaching changes year after year in the National Football League. Um, you know, a guy can have success as a coordinator, but that doesn't necessarily make him leaders, leaders of men. Um, so I don't know, I, you know, I, a lot of us wasn't sure when the Eagles made the hire, but like Doug Peterson, we gave him the benefit of the doubt. He rewarded us in year two with a trip to the Super Bowl. Um, you know, got off to a good start this year, even though, you know, the team didn't look like, you know, it was, playing the way that it needed to play. It just wasn't sustainable the way that they were winning. And then everything kind of went to hell in a handbasket, you know, the last, you know, seven games, six, seven games of the season. Um, and, you know, I said it at the end of the year that I'm not one of those people who gets into whether a coach should be fired or whether he shouldn't be fired. But I also believe that, you know, you have to take, you had to take into consideration how the team finished the year 
And if you were going to have that those discussions, then you needed to have those discussions, whether he would be the guy moving forward. Um, I felt as though when they made the decision to go in a different direction as far as both coordinators were concerned, well, all three of them, then you probably should have made the decision to um, – you know, going a different direction as far as the head coach was concerned, because either he made the decision to make those hires and they fell flat on their face, you know, or upstairs made those decisions and then turn around and to kind of save face, not only for themselves, but for him, decided to bring him back for another year. Because, you know, all season long, he couldn't figure out how to right the ship. And then I think it was week 14 or week 13, he was asked by a media person, um, you know, Nick, you know, what do you, what do you have to do to, you know, kind of get things turned around? And he looked at the guy, I was like flabbergasted that he ever actually answered it that way and surprised that more media people didn't jump all over it. He said, well, don't you think if I knew what to do that, you know, I'd fixed it by now? And it just, it blew my mind. So now you got a new coordinator on, on the defensive side of the ball. You got a new coordinator on the offensive side of the ball, which both of those guys are pretty much from the way that they framed it, going to have carte blanche. They're going to be able to do what they want, how they want to do it. You know? So the question is, what does your head coach do? What does he bring to the table? Is he going to, the only thing he's going to be doing is making decisions on, do we go for it on fourth down? Uh, do we kick a field goal here opposed to punting? If those are the parameters of his decision making, then, then you know, they made another mass mass mistake and we're going to be in for another tough year next year. Seth, I say this to you, too. Now that, you know, you, you take into consideration what Gunn said about his immaturity. Am I really going to sit here and believe that if Kellen Moore is calling a game plan and he's doing something and Nick doesn't like it, and all of a sudden out of nowhere, he parachutes in and kind of vetoes that. My concern is now the relationship, not with Nick and Jalen or Kellen and Jalen. It's with Nick and J and Kellen. I think there's going to be an issue there because at the end of the day, like you said, what's your job, dude? Getting crellers and coffee for the coordinators? Being a pep, a pep, Newt Rockney talks in in locker rooms. I mean, the players you you supposedly got into fights with these guys on sidelines. I don't think they respect him as much as people say they do. I mean, this guy's a lame duck coach, Seth. Well, hey, listen, yeah, I'm I'm old school in my thinking. I don't find anything particularly wrong with you know coaches holding players accountable. So if that is what he was doing on the sideline, you know, then I don't have a problem with that. You know, if you've practiced something and it doesn't go the way that, you know, or the players aren't executing it, it's up to the coach, you know, to to hold the players accountable. And sometimes, you know, in that vein, you know, it's, it's almost like, you know, when you ask the player to do something once and then you've asked them to do it twice, by the time you get to the third time, you know, you should be a little bit heated because, you know, you're not dealing with high school players or Pop Warner kids. You're dealing with grown men that are getting paid to do a job and you want them to do it the way that you've 
programmed it and, and put it and game plan it to be done. And when they decide to do it their own way, then I can understand, you know, Nick being upset about that. And this is we're, we're, we're living in a different, you know, era of how we deal with young people in general. You know, we want to always deal with them, you know, delicately, you know, and there's nothing delicate about the game of football. There's nothing um, passive about the game of football, you know, so it, it, as a coach, I, I would much rather have a guy that's fiery, but also understanding, you know, how to deal with guys for, on an emotional level, you know, and things are going to go sideways. When you see the coach frazzled, then that means that the team is going to be frazzled because he, because everything is supposed to begin and end with him. That level of comfort, that level of surety, that level of confidence, it first comes from the head coach and his ability to to project that to the players, but also in the way that you coach them on game day, okay? And with, you know, Nick and the incident in um, Kansas City, with him turning to the fans in the stands on the road and saying and doing stuff, um, you know, all of those things, you know, come into play here. And the players are watching it. You know, when he's doing something and Jalen's putting his hand down on the sideline, it should be the other way around. You know, he should be reprimanding the players to hold their poise and and, and to remain um, even keel. It shouldn't be the player doing that to the coach. Seth, do you think there's a culture or a talent problem with the Eagles right now in the offseason here? Or potentially, is it both? Well, let me say this. Um, I think that culture sometimes can be overstated because, and, and this is why I'll say that. And some people would be like, you know, Seth doesn't know what he's talking about. So here's the example. When a team is winning, do you ever hear anyone talking about the culture in the locker room? No. It, it's never, ever an issue. But when a team is not winning or a team is struggling, it's always this culture thing always comes up in conversation, you know. Do you like think it's media were, made? Yeah, when they were when they were ten and one, eleven and one, did you hear anything about culture in the locker room? No. Did you hear any of the stuff that was, you know, um, you know, coming out of the locker room unsourced? Did you hear any of that? No, because when you're winning, winning takes care of all of that nonsense. If the if the if the wide receivers aren't getting the um, the targets that they want, if the team is winning, shut the hell up. You never hear them complain if the team is winning. But when does it become an issue? When the team is losing and the player feels like I'm the difference maker. That's why you got me here. So why are you not? Why are you, why am I only getting four four targets in a game? You know, it becomes an issue. All of these things become an issue when. You're losing, okay? So if you want the culture to be fixed in Philadelphia, fix the winning and losing situation. The only way that they're going to fix that is to fix the talent level, okay? Just on the, listen, on the offensive side of the ball, to me, it's more scheme than anything. Yeah. Put, put the players in position and they will dominate. You got the best offensive line in the game. You got two of the best wide receivers on the same team, and you got a top three tight end that you underutilize. Okay. 
the running back position, hey, they're going to find a guy, whether it's bringing back Swift or somebody else, they're going to find a guy that's going to be able to give them the production, okay? The issue is on the defensive side of the ball. You don't have enough speed, you don't have enough talent, and you don't have enough playmakers, okay? So the only way that you're going to be able to fix that is to go and get players that are faster, more talented, and guys and coach guys to actually be uh, a, a playmaker. Okay. I, I how many turnovers since the um the Buffalo interception by um James Bradbury from that point on, how many turnovers did you see? Because the you two don't corners have had three combined all year. Because you don't have you're not coaching your players to be paid playmakers when you play a passive style defense. Okay, they're trying to prevent things from happening instead of making things happen. That's the first thing. The second thing is you don't have speed. You don't have speed on your defense. You know, when a wide receiver can catch a ball and take it 48 yards and he's not a blazer and run through your your defense with with nobody possessing the, the type of top end speed to go and get him and bring him down before he gets to the offense. There's an issue with the speed on your defense. The linebackers don't play fast because they don't, they're looking in the wrong places. The safeties are so afraid to make a mistake that they can't play, you know, hair on fire, balls to the wall. That's just a fact. So the only way that you're going to fix these things, the, the, the culture thing will fix itself with wins and losses because then everybody will shut up and just go and play. The talent thing, that's on how we go out and bring in the talent that's necessary to raise the level of competition. And then it's on Vic Fangio to put these players in the proper position to not only, you know, play the type of defense that he wants them to play, but to turn into playmakers. You know, when you look at top defenses, they have playmakers across at every single level. They got a guy up front that can win. They got a linebacker, you know, that covers and gets interceptions. And when you send him, he can get sacks. And you got guys on the back end that, that are, prepared they're not afraid of explosive plays but they're looking at okay this guy if i'm off he's gonna run a seven yard out route i'm gonna jump it but what do they do they stay 10 yards off and they're content with giving up the seven yards and then they come up and praying that they can make the tackle that's just not the way that you play football in my opinion seth but the benchmark and i had dave wants that on with me last week who knows him from chicago he is a control and contain type of coordinator. He's not a heavy blitzer. So are we going to see more of the same here? Because at the end of the day, we're not talking about a guy like a, a, a Martindale, or we're not talking about somebody like a Spagnola that knows timely blitzes. And that's something that's a benchmark in those defenses. He's not that guy. So are we just going to see a redefined um, Jonathan Gannon? Well, listen, they had him in the building last year. They couldn't keep him because, you know, because they were in the Super Bowl and he had to make a decision. Um, if you look at this thing in the proper context, you know, they went and they've got, they went and they've got the, the, the branch and the leaf from the tree. Now they have the tree. This is what they wanted. So now they have the guy that fits the philosophy of how they want to play defensive football, okay? 
And there's no doubt, there's no doubt about it. I'm pretty sure Wink Martindale wanted this job when he looked at that defensive front. I'm sure that Rex Ryan would have taken this job, you know, if it was offered to him. But the problem is that's not their philosophy and how you play defense. Now, Vic Fangio is a plus because all the BS that you see, you're not going to see it anymore. You're not going to see guys unprepared. You're not going to see guys that aren't held accountable. You're not going to see guys just making a half-assed attempt at a tackle and getting up and clapping their hand like, man, I, I, I just missed the tackle. No, he's not going to take that because he's old school in his thought and he's old school in how he approaches the game. He's going to hold these players accountable. My biggest concern with Vic Fangio is his, is his philosophy and how you play defense. Because, listen, if you're going to play eight to ten yards off the ball with your corners, you're going to get the same results. You're not going to be able to get home when you're playing against teams, you know, when you got a defense that can get to the quarterback and you know that you can, that this team can rush the passer. The quarterbacks are going to be getting the ball out of their hands when you're playing off. The slant route, the stop route, the five-yard outs, they're going to get those and the, and the quick hitches. You're going to get those all day. So if he doesn't mix in getting your cornerbacks up, and moving them back, moving them inside, moving them outside. If you don't move them around and you give these quarterbacks, especially the elite level ones, the good ones, if you don't give them a different look and you give them a predictable scenario, they're going to take you apart. Okay. Now, I'm willing, like any other coach, to step back and see what Vic Fangio and, and both him and Keller Moore, I'm willing to sit back and look and see what they bring to the table. I'm not going to outright, outright say, like Angelo, that the team's going to win five games. The under-over is five games. I'm not going there, okay? Because they got too much talent for that. But I am going to sit back and give these guys the benefit of the doubt, and then let's see what they, what they turn out to be. And unlike last year, my take won't be if they start off 6-0, and 7-0, my take won't be, well, they're just winning. Because we saw how that worked out. They won five, they lost one. They won five more or six more, and then they went to hell in the handbasket. But they never looked good throughout that time where they got to 11 and one. They never did. But everybody was like, oh, stop complaining. Be quiet. They're fine. They're, they're, they're the number one team record-wise in the National Football League. But they looked like crap getting there. Okay? That is important to what you're going to look like when it really comes time to win. When you get to November and December, when it becomes real winning time, it's, it's not going to matter because if you're not playing at the level where you need to play, again, it's not going to be sustainable. So let's wait and see. Let's wait and see what they're going to be. But by the time they get through six, five, six games, I'm going to have a definite opinion. It's going to be a lot different than what it was this year. And I'm not going to shut my mouth and be quiet and be happy to be undefeated if they're beating teams the way that they beat teams throughout the first 10, 11 games of this year. Seth, I want to tell me if I'm crazy on this and please probably one of the only people that can, but here, here's my take on Redick. If you have the shittiest pass defense in the league and you're not getting home, he can't defend tight ends. He's not the greatest tackler 12 sacks. He's been, when you put him in a defense like the Niners, maybe the Steelers, really quality play, Ravens maybe, something like that, 
He's a $20 million guy. I get it. But when he's on the Eagles and your backers suck, your back end is in shambles right now, and you're not getting home, I think he's a liability on that team. If he doesn't get home, Seth, what's the point of paying him? So there's so let's 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 Am break I wrong? This. Let, let, yeah, I, I disagree with that. Let's let's right. let's let's break it down from this perspective. Okay. Your football team needs speed, it needs talent, it needs talent, correct? Yes. So would you or would you not agree that Hassan Reddick has been the best player on this defense for the last two years? He's the most productive player on that defense. Okay, so he's the most productive player with 27 sacks over the last two years, okay? And you lack talent on that side of the football. So you mean to tell me that you're going to let talent walk out of the door when you're already talent and speed deficiency? He might be the fastest player in the front seven as well. He is. Okay? So if you're lacking speed and you're lacking production and you're lacking talent, it does not make sense to let your most productive player, your most talented player, your fastest player walk out the door. Now Why I you get it. Him in coverage then, Seth? Because you, you can't put that on him. You can't even put the fact that he can't get home on him. If you're going to play your cornerbacks 10 yards off the ball, you expect for the guy to get there? It's impossible. People forget the fact that, you know what, the pass rush and the coverage go hand in hand. If a guy's covered, the quarterback got to hold the ball. If the guy's open, the quarterback can get the ball out of his hands. So if he's got 1,001, 1,002, and the guy's wide open, the quarterback's getting the ball out of his hand, how do you expect for him to get there? It's impossible. So they got to do things that helps him get there. And then when they do that, he's got to get there. Okay? Now, I get it. The, the amount of money that he's asking for, let me, let me share something with all you guys about negotiations. Okay? You always start at your top end. Always start at $25 million if you want 20 Because in negotiations, it always comes down. You never negotiate up. You always negotiate down. Okay, now you look at Jalen Hurts. He's got a $14 million hit on the cap this year. Okay, genius. How do you sign a guy to a $250 million contract and in year two of the contract, he only counts $14 million against the cap? Okay, so Howie is masterful at that. Don't tell me that you can't bring him up close to the top of where the pass rushes are and structured in a way that allows it to be cap friendly, that makes him happy, but also helps you cap wise. It's so you possible. restructure his deal then. You give him the bag of money up front and you kind of lower the base and you kind of do a brat, you kind of do a slate deal of a year ago, give him 18, 19 million bucks, get him up, like you said, near the 20, and you'd be okay because he's produced almost, if you count the playoffs, 30 sacks, he's produced 30 sacks for you in two years. I mean, at the end of the day, you're saying give the guy 20, give him a, um, a, a, a restructure, give him the money, lower the base so that it doesn't hit your cap as much. Let me, let me ask you a question. Okay. The way that the Eagles are currently constructed, if you take a sign Reddick away, where, who, who's going to replace those 30 seconds in the and, next and, two and years? Here, and here lies the problem, Seth. <laughs> when I look at Howie, okay. He's a pro personnel guy. I, I think he's better there. Has he ever drafted a corner that's worth the shit? 
No. Linebackers? No. Really? Edge rushers? Outside of Josh Sweat? No. I'm going to sit here and people are going to tell me that he's going to retool that defense in the draft. Who's Nolan Smith, Seth? Who's N'Kobe Dean? Who was the linebacker that was drafted in the third round last year that they just cut that everyone forgets? You're going to tell me that, hey, he's going to rebuild this. I'm like, this is a, this is a two-year rebuild, Seth. And I'm going to have no. Redick at 20? No, it's it's not a two-year rebuild because the strength of the football team is still the defensive front. They got now, owned in the last eight games, Seth. I get it. I get it. But I think that had more to do with coaching than it actually did the players because I think the mistake was making the jump from Desai to Patricia at the end of the year because Matt Patricia was just, you know, he was trying to draw it up in the dirt. Yeah. You know? And and one thing you know, Dan, players have confidence in coaches oh, yeah. when they believe in how they're being coached. Because over over the over the span of you being with that coach, the evidence has been proven that success can come through how you're being coached to play. Okay. When you're being asked to do something and you see it's not working, okay, then you know that the veteran players are looking at that coach and they're calling bullshit because the one thing that the, see the young players don't know any better. This is why coaches love young players opposed to older players because the <laughs> older players have been around long enough to know when you stand up in that room and you're preaching and you're talking all of this nonsense, you know, you got a group of veterans back there. that's like, they're huddled up like, man, you, you, you hear this bullshit. <laughs> you, you know what I'm saying? That's just the fact. The young guys, they're looking at they're, they're sitting there looking starry-eyed because you know they're young and they don't know any better. That's why you need to have veterans on the team because the veterans are the ones that pull the young guys along and get into their ear and get them help them to buy into what the coach is actually selling. Okay. So it, it, I just think that you know Hassan Reddick is a major piece to this offense. He would be a major piece to this defense, rather. He'd be a major piece to any defense. And when you're lacking talent, you don't let the most talented guy on your team. You figure out a way to make him happy. You figure out a way to do it in a way where you're where you are, you know, where it's cap friendly, you know, and you keep a guy like that. You know, because not all 30-year-olds are built the same way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He, he didn't look to me like he lost a step. He didn't look to me like his talent level was. No, I thought enough. he was slowed by the cast at the beginning of the year yeah, and the, the first way four they games. used him in the back end. And Seth, you want to hear what Gary Cobb told me? He goes like this: Well, when they went from when they went from um, decide to Patricia, Patricia went to two gapping, and I went what? Because if you remember, at early part of the year, Carter and Fletcher and all the rest of these guys were in threes and ones, Living and they're getting the penetration up the yeah. field. And Matt has been known because up in New England, he ran that two gap and had the backers. Well, you didn't have the backers. And you put your defensive line in a position where all of a sudden they started running at. These guys aren't two gappers. Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter are not two gappers. They're one gap technique guys. They did that shit when they were in Georgia and they moved them out of position. So that's to your point. Well, but, but, but that's why I say, the most detrimental move that the Eagles made, you know, 
over the last six weeks of the season was the move to Patricia. Because what it did, it fractured the defense even much more than it was already fractured. Because you got to believe, if the, the, the if, if the reports are true that, you know, Desai wasn't a player's guy, he couldn't really communicate with the players, that's one thing, okay? But there were some players in that locker room that liked what he was doing, yep. that was okay, that could live with what he was what he was selling them to do. But then at the end, of, at the other end of the spectrum, and this started when they decided to, to, to bring Matt Patricia on last offseason as an advisor. Okay. The Eagles are known to create these insurance policies. They did it with Doug. You understand what I'm saying? They didn't so much do it with um with, with uh with Nick, you know, in the first two years, but when you brought in Desai, Desai was the insurance policy. Okay, so you go back to Doug. Who was the insurance policy? The insurance right. policy was Jim Schwartz. Schwartz, because he had already been a head coach. Right, a head coach in Detroit. And if and if everything if hell if everything went to hell in a handbasket, you could move Doug out the way, insert Schwartz as the head coach, have him continue to call the D, bring in an offensive mind without having to tear the whole damn thing down. Okay, why do you bring in a Vic Fangio? under Jonathan Gannon because Jonathan Gannon had never been a defense coordinator before you bring him in because if things go sideways now, instead of having the branch, you got the tree, you can move him in and move Gannon out. The team records breaks our records for sacks. So now you don't have to cash in the policy on Doug. He takes him to the Super Bowl in year two. You don't have to, you don't have to cash it in on, on Gannon because the defense is playing lights out. Okay. The insurance policy for last year for Desai was Matt Patricia. In week 13, they cashed that insurance policy in, and it was the most detrimental thing that they did because it split and divided and completely fractured the defense because you had Desai guys and you had Patricia guys. And, and, and when, once that happened, there was no clear leader, no clear guy that was running the show that all the players believed in, and it broke the defense. Seth, then why this? Why do you go from one extreme where guys had no experience at coordinator to, I mean, Clint Hurt, it, I recruited the kid for the University of Miami. He was a D lineman down there. The kid wore my number and my honor down there. I respect him a lot. He was the coordinator up in Seattle. I think he's a great coach. They got a bunch of these really good position coaches now. And last year, I said to people, like, oh, did you see the staff, especially on defense? They changed 12 different dudes out a year ago or elevated to new positions on that defense. They This is the second year in a row, Seth, they changed the entire coaching staff out. But now it's more experience. Why the extreme from training wheels to having a guy who's been in the league 35 years and a guy in Kellen Moore at one of the top offenses in Dallas? Because what, Nick, what, how can how do you balance that? Because Nick Sirianni is going into the fourth year being the head coach of this football team, so and they're not sure about him. It, it did well. I, I'm I'm going to say this: the first year they caught lightning in the bottle because you know they started off bad and then they had a run and they made it to the playoffs, got eliminated in the first round. Okay, that was hope. Second year they really caught lightning in the bottle because, you know, you had 
no one knew how to defend Jalen. He had all these weapons around him. You had a great running game with Miles Sanders, 13-yard rusher, you know, 11, 11 um, touchdowns. Uh, on the defensive side of the ball, everything was clicking because even though you were playing a passive style, you know, teams weren't really looking at the fact that the corners and the, and the slot guys were playing so far off the ball. And, you know, the pass rush was getting home. You know, you had four guys with – you, you had four guys with, with, with double-digit sacks, okay? So it all worked out. Now you go into this year and, you know, they won early. You they, think they, they gave Nick the benefit of the doubt, and that's why they did it that way? Well, I, I, it's my opinion that what they did was they made the decisions as far as who the who the coordinators were going to be based upon their philosophy. It might not have been exactly what Nick wanted to do, but Nick's a team player, and he's going to go along with what they suggest to do. You know, so now you've got all of these young coaches, and the problem with young coaches is. They've come up through the system, meaning that you've got a guy who is a quality control guy, you know, and not that you have to be a player to be a good coach, but I think that it's a great benefit to have a guy who knows the emotion of what's going on in the mind of players to help them get through what they're going through in a season, all season long, okay? But if you never played at the highest level or you never played – at the collegiate level, it's one thing to know X's and O's. It's another thing to be able to speak from experience. And it's another thing to be able to talk to technique and fundamentals as a coach. Okay. When I look at this team, they are so fundamentally unsound, you know, and that speaks to coaching. Tackling. The pursuit the angles coach- are terrible. It's the coach's job to make sure that the small details and the fundamentals are taken care of. Like, it's one thing for you to tell me how to get from point A to point B. But if I'm not getting there, can you show me? Can you give me the tools that allows me to get there? If you can't, then you don't really you don't serve any purpose as a position coach. Because at some point in time, as a player, I got to a place where all I needed my coach to do. If he couldn't, if he couldn't give me the tools, if he couldn't help me work on the tools in my toolbox, all I needed him to do on Wednesday when I walked in the meeting is hand me the game plan, leave me the hell alone the rest of the week. Because what else are you giving me? But when we go through nine on seven and I'm not getting to the gap like I need to, I need a coach to tell me why I'm not getting there and how to get there. That's the difference. And great coaches. And some of these young coaches that you see come in the league that work up through, you know, quality control, you know, and do boys to become all of a sudden now they're a position coach. What qualifications do they bring to the table that actually validates them being a coach other than being around long enough to understand the defense and to talk the lingo? Okay. It just, it makes no sense to me. So that's, that's why you see, this massive shift because what they've done the previous two years has not been able to get the job done. And maybe just maybe the same way that how he's transformed, how he's looking at drafting players. Now they're, maybe they're looking at the transformation of hey, we need some veteran coaches in here. So you we think need they some pivoted. guys. 
Yes, we, we need some guys. You know, listen, it also speaks to development. Yep. You know, how many wide receivers in the last 15 years has the Eagles drafted that didn't work out? How many linebackers, you know, that you tried to transform from safety to linebacker and guys that you drafted that haven't panned out? Why? You want to know why? Because unless you have teachers at the position that you're drafting these young players at, if they don't come to you already developed, those coaches can't develop them. You want to know why, you know, the, the Eagles are so good at wide receivers? Because A.J. Brown, by the time he got here, he'd already been in the league four years. He was already developed. So he doesn't need a coach to develop him. He already knows how to play. Devontae Smith didn't need development. You want to know why? Because Nick Saban and his staff developed him at Alabama. But when you go and you get a raw guy who hasn't been developed to the utmost at the collegiate level, you damn well better have some position coaches that can develop those players. Because if you don't, then guess what? Those players that you drafted, they are not going to develop in the manner that they need to develop. That's just a fact. Seth, I think you're probably one of the only people that can answer this question or men like you that have played in that league that um, are in that position when you have to look in the mirror. You know, if you're, you know, I tell people this, Seth, the toughest divorce you'll ever make in your life is leaving the game of football. It's nothing more. It's your first love. It's your first true love because you put your heart and soul and leave parts of your body all over the field. And for guys like you who did it for over a decade, there's pieces of your body from Philadelphia to Los Angeles. So when you're Jason Kelsey and you see the place he's in, cause you've been in that place. Merrill Reese on the other day on our show goes, I hope he retires. Where are you in this year? And by the way, he was all pro. He's the best in his position. It's great to go out on top, but I, you know, leaving it, it's impossible, Seth. It, it just, it's a love you have that just doesn't go away. How would you deal with this? You know, the, the hardest part for guys walking away from the game, Dan, I, I think it's, it's manifold because guys are either walking away because they've been pushed out of the game. Nobody wants them anymore or they, or they get to a point where um, they've done everything that they want to do. And the tank is empty. Like players know when they're on the cusp of it being the, the, when they're on the cusp of it all being done and over with did you oh absolutely i mean every every player and if they don't say this and they don't agree with this they're lying they know probably a year or two before they walk away that they were already done they're they're living on reputation and they're living on the ability to turn it up every once in a while but they know that they can't give a hundred percent every single play like they did you know when they were in year four, year five. That, that's just a fact, okay? Jason Kelsey is still in the prime of his career. Now, the, the, the biggest problem for him is being able to recover. You want to know why I, I – this is why I retired. Like, in Had year 11 – No, and, and, well, that was part of it. But in year 11, 
I knew I was done. I knew that I could not perform at the level that I that I performed at when I was in my prime. Seth, was it a moment where you went shit? Did you was it like that, or was it a was it a progressive thing that came on where you went, I just can't get back in that drop like I did? Or was no, it, it was like it that? was. I was lined up over tight end, and I had outside shade on him, and I was a contained player. And I said. In my mind, I was like, he's going to reach me. He's going to reach me. He's going to reach me. What? Some bitch reached me. <laughs> and I couldn't do anything about it. My reaction time was so slow that the ball was snapped, and he reached a half a man outside of me wow. and hooked me. And I knew right then and there that I was done. I knew. Okay? I knew. And players experience that all oh, the yeah. time. Oh, God. You know? Some now, earlier gotta, than other, a some earlier than others, Seth. <laughs> I, you know, now, now I've got to line up a full man outside of him to keep him from reaching me. You know, which now allows him to just step inside and turn me outside if he wants to. Right, free you release know. inside. Yes. So players know, but you know, and then the injury piece of it. You know, I I had you know three three big toe surgeries in my career. And it just got to a point where it took me to Thursday to recover. So I couldn't practice the way that I needed to on Wednesday and Thursday. And sometimes it would take me to Friday to recover. You just can't operate that way. You've got to be, you know, healthy enough throughout. And, and when it comes when it comes to Kelsey, he's been talking about the toll that the game is taking on his body. I get that. I understand that. But if he can mentally get past that, you know. I would like to see him come back and play one more year, you know, and a lot of players, Dan also retire, you know, guys struggle with retirement because, you know, they're chasing the, that ultimate goal. That ultimate goal is always to win a Super Bowl. What made it easier for me to walk away is in my last year, I was coming off of two Super Bowl appearances in a row. I went to the, to the Super Bowl with Green Bay and lost and then got traded to Denver the following year and won. So everything on my list of goals that I wanted to accomplish, I checked off everything except for the number one goal, and that was to win a Super Bowl. You know, So I gave myself that one more year and won that Super Bowl in that year. So when I went to try out for teams and they all wanted me to come in and be a backup, you know, I was like, you know what? I'm good. Okay? I made my money. So you made your piece too. I got, I got a Super Bowl in my pocket. And you made your you know? piece. Yeah. And, and I mean, and, and and also the identity of who you are. Some guys are 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 identified by the game of football. I was Seth Jordan long before I got to the NFL. <laughs> and I was fully aware that I was going to be Seth Jordan longer after I got out of the NFL than I ever was when I was in the NFL. And I was good with that. But when you get caught up in the BS of the NFL that, hey, you know, I'm the, I'm an NFL player. I'm that dude. I'm like, dude, stop it, man. Stop it. You are so much more than that. Football is what I did. It's not who I am. And I never lost sight of that. And when guys get caught up in that, it's hard for them to give that away because now you walk around and people don't acknowledge you. People don't know who the hell you are. You know, when you go to the club, Ain't nobody calling you up to the front of the line no more because you used to play, okay? 
when you go to a restaurant, they're not giving you the prime seat and sending you over a complimentary bottle of wine no more. No, because that's who you used to be. Okay. And guys have a hard time with that. I don't have a problem with that. If I want a damn bottle of wine, I buy it myself. <laughs> and it'll be in Jamaica somewhere too. One last one, Seth. And please, again, tell me I'm off base with this. But here, this goes back to Hertz here. Finally here. I made this comment. And you tell me if I'm wrong. Jalen Hurts is not going to win a Super Bowl with the way and the style that they played last year when they were as predictable as ever from his passing chart. They threw to the numbers, had an 8% quarterback rating in the middle of the field, tight end was underutilized, and they were so predictable they threw to two dudes. They only had 36 passes to WR3, and in my opinion – if you take that RPO and that dual threat out, you take the element of surprise. Because to me, Steve Young was more of a weapon on the field than Joe Montana. Because he had more. When you and I played, everyone would go, damn, I hope Montana's hurt. Because I mean, I hope, I hope, uh, I hope Montana's healthy. Because if that guy's in running four fours, four fives, you know how fast he was. Mm-hmm. You were like this, holy cow. Set that 2022 season, I could see the Eagles going to two more Super Bowls if they play Hurts that way. If they put Hurts in that 23 offense and they have a redefined and are trying to define it with Kellen Mork, who's never coached an RPO guy in his entire coaching career, they're not going anywhere with it. I don't, I don't believe he can win a Super Bowl from the pocket without giving that great ability that he has. I don't think Lamar can. Lamar's not going to win a Super Bowl throwing the ball 47 times, Seth. He's just not. Listen, I, I think that I think that over the last two years, Jalen has proven that he can throw from the pocket. I've seen him throw from the pocket. He, no, he had 18 no. turnovers. Hey, listen, it's where they're being asked. You, you, people have to understand. They were too predictable. You, you, a team – has a coach and a game plan from week to week for a reason because the coaches have decided that this is how we're going to attack the defense. These are what we're actually, this this is what we're going to, this is what we want you to do. This is what we're asking you to do. Okay. Now the coach has to adjust based upon how the defense is attacking him. You know, Andy Reid, Patrick Mahomes are phenomenal at that. Okay. You can shut me down this half, but you're not going to get me two halves in a row. Or I might explode this half, and you might shut me down in the second half, but I've done enough in the first half. That, that, that's the, the, the AFC championship game. People don't realize Patrick Mahomes only put up 17 points in that game, all in the first half. In the second half, they had an answer for him. He didn't put up uh, not one point in the second half of that football game. So you're so saying situational all, play calling, because like in the Super Bowl, Seth, they shut them down in the first half? That 66 yards in the second half, in my opinion, was more valuable than the 333 he threw for. Well, listen, you you have to you have to be able to adjust as an offense and a defense. And 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 when you're playing Kansas City, I almost feel like you have to have two game plans. Yeah. Because whatever, if you have success with them with something in the first half, you better have another plan in the second half <laughs> because. Especially in the Super Bowl, when you got the extended halftime, you're going to give Andy Reid and his coaching staff that much time to look at everything that you do Spags. and devise a way 
devise a way to attack you, okay? So going back to Hurts, I think that Kellen Moore is going to be an improvement for him because what he's going to bring is a overall offense that's going to attack the entire field. And that alone is going to allow the implementation of the, the RPO and the read option, the thing, those other things that they've been doing, it's going to be, now it's going to be a little bit of a surprise. I see someone in here just type the word balance. The offense is going to be balanced because it's not going to be all RPO. It's not going to be all read option. You're not going to be able to look at this offense and say, you know, predictably by formation, this is what they do. Kellen Moore brings more variety to the offense. And that's where, you know, if, if, if you go back and you look at my prediction last year, Dan, leading up into the season, I said that this would be a, a great leap for Jalen Hurts because we know what he can do in the offense the way it's constructed now. Now it's up to Nick Sirianni and Brian Johnson to add a layer to that offense, okay? Evolve where he's where, where he's playing from the pocket, he's operating from the pocket, play action pass, um, bootlegs, misdirections, up under center. You know, when you when you begin to implement that kind of stuff, now a defense coordinator and the defense has much more stuff to prepare for on a week-to-week level. And he can play from the pocket when you're running the football with consistency and not asking him to throw the ball 10 times in a row. He can do it. I've seen it. So all of these naysayers, all of these, this, this BS Wentz watching Chris Sims with, you know, his hating ass, you know, and all of these people that think that Jalen Hurts is taking a step back, go look at his numbers. The only numbers that he posted this year that were worse than last year was in the area of turnovers. That's it. And his rushing yards were down. He rushed for more touchdowns, albeit because of the tush push. He, um, he, his passing yards were up. His touchdowns were up. Okay. The only difference was he turned the damn ball over too much. You know, can't turn the ball over 19 times. Just can't do it. Okay. It's a killer. Why couldn't they, why couldn't he overcome the one and seven then? He couldn't overcome it because the offense was in, it was enigmatic. The offense was inept. The offense was predictable. When you line up and you bring a zero blitz and you're telling your quarterback, listen, we're not going to side adjust. We're not going hot. We, just, we want you to make the free run and miss and make something happen. Okay, don't play football like that. Buddy did that shit with, with, with Randall, you know? <laughs> that, that, that's, that's what killed Randall, you know? You can't ask your quarterback to do it. The, the good quarterbacks don't do that. When Patrick Mahomes sees a blitz, he gets to a side adjustment. He gets to a hot route right now. The Eagles didn't have that. So you're so saying Dylan wasn't prepared for these game plans? No, it wasn't in the game plan. Okay. Okay? It wasn't in the game plan. And you can't ask a quarterback to make chicken salad out of chicken shit. And that's what they did all season long with this quarterback. And everybody wants to, uh, wants to put it on him. Now, was there some throws there and some opportunities that he missed? Absolutely. Every single quarterback does, okay? And every single quarterback that I can remember, think about Josh Allen, the year that he had under um, – um, what's the head coach? The, Brian Dable. The, look at the year that he had before Dable left and look at how he regressed after Dable left. 
Okay. So people saying, oh, look at, you know, he's reverted. Bullshit. Okay. The guy had an off year. I had an off year. You had an off year. Every player has an off year. Mahomes this year had an off year. They got right when it counted. Last you six games of the year. Last so people, six games of the year, they so kind people, of figured it out. So people need to stop with this nonsense. Jalen Hurts is a franchise quarterback that can that can and will win you games. If you don't think that he's going to go back and get in the lab and get to work this offseason like he did this, the offseason before last, you're out of your mind because the guy has that kind of pride about himself. He wants to get better and he wants to win. They just have to give him the tools to succeed and he will, he will implement what needs to be done and he will execute the way that he needs to execute. Somebody vibes guy just put in here, Joe Burrow, trash for eight weeks. Come on, man. Come on. Everybody wants to hold Jalen Hurst to a different standard than anybody else. These so-called elite quarterbacks have had off years. I'm not going to throw the blanket over this guy and say that he can't do it because he's had an off year in one statistical category. Because if he comes comes in and only turns the ball over seven to ten times, the Eagles don't have – they don't lose to the Jets. You understand what I'm saying? They figure out a way to get it done. And let's not forget that Jalen Hurts was injured for a lot for a large portion of the season where he wasn't able to be himself. But okay? Seth, it sounds like you're more confident in him, and maybe I am too. I'm just not confident in the folks around him. Hey, listen, that's why you that's why you bring in a Keller Moore. The guy's proven. The guy's proven, Dan, that he can get it done. He did it with Dak. You mean you tell me if he can do it with Dak, he can't do it with Jalen? Well, I say this, the last two years with Galen, the guy led the NFL in interceptions, uh, Dak did his final year as OC, and he got better this year. And Justin Herbert was terrible this year well, when he listen, had him. So, I mean. Justin, Justin was hurt for a large, was, portion, he got, he large portion of the year. Shitty head coach too, right, Brandon Staley? Probably, exactly. Staley was an idiot. Right. You know, um, the sacks with Dak, Listen, with quarterbacks, it's about decisions. You know, Dak went through a period this year, as great as his year was, he went through a period this year where he was giving the ball away yep. at a high rate. You know, what 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 um what McCarthy was able to do with Dak was to get him to throw the ball with more rhythm and more timing, you know. Now quick releases. Now it, it, it will will the Eagles move away from this explosive play BS and allow Kellen to learn from his mistake in Dallas of doing some of the same things and implement a little bit more of we're going to take what the defense has given us and we're going to move the ball down the field systematically a la Tom Brady. Take what the defense gives you. Try to score every possession. And then when you get them behind, or you get them in a position where they have to come after you. Okay, where's my best matchup? Oh, I got A.J. Brown one-on-one in the slot against the number three cornerback. Let's let's take a shot there, okay? Not when you just line up with a zero blitz and everybody's coming and you're running 10 to 15-yard routes with nobody sitting down at five yards to allow the quarterback to get the ball out of his hand, you know? Those are the things that need to change. 
And if they can do some of that, then Jalen would get back to being who and what he is. If they can expand the offense and do more with him instead of just this high school slash college offense, <laughs> then Jalen's going to be just fine. He's going to be just fine. If they don't, then Nick Sirianni will be out of here next year. There'll be a new head coach that comes in, probably a more experienced head coach, okay? Somebody from, you know, um, that – somebody from that um, – You think like Vrabel? That, no, because, listen, if, if you're going to you go in that Bill? direction – Hey, listen, if, if you're going to go that direction, then you better go get an offensive mind that's proven. Okay, I don't have a problem with defensive minded head coaches, but if I ever, if I was a, if I was a head coach as a defensive, you know, mind, I'd go and get the best offensive mind that I could find, and say, hey, this is yours, take care of it, run it the way you want to run it. The only time you're going to hear me in your ears in crucial situations and in situational football, okay, but do what you do, just like D'Amico Ryan's. D'Amico smart, when got slower. Run the offense, okay? I'll be there for critical decisions, but I'm I'm focusing over here on the defensive side of the football. It's kind of like McVay in L.A., right? Yeah, and I'm and I'm the offense, and he got Raheem Morris exactly in there. That's what it's going to look like if Nick Sirianni can't get it turned around. All right, Seth. So you think this thing's going to be, in your opinion, a quick turnaround, or do you think this this team could be a playoff team if they plug the right holes? I don't see it as a turnaround. It's not like this team was, you know, four and thirteen. That's not the case. They just so you think apart. they're more ten? They're more the ten and one team than they were the one and seven team. Talent wise, they are. If you can get the best out of them, then they can return to that form quickly. Okay, I'm talking. That's on the offensive side. On the defensive side, I try to tell people you're not going to see seventy sacks next year. That's an anomaly. That's like. 27 and two interceptions, you know, those things are anomalies. There's a reason why there's only been two or three other teams in the history of the league that's posted 70 plus sacks. Okay. So if that's the case, then now how do you get back to the basis of what makes you a good defense? Stop the run, which they've been horrible at for the last three years. Okay. Especially Yeah. Get, get the run under control. Okay went on first down and put him in third and long situations where now the pass rush that you have can get done what it needs to get done. Now you got to get faster. You got to get more talented and you got to get more playmakers. Seth, I'm not going to keep you any longer. Shit. I could go hours with you, man. I mean, you feel good where they are though, right now as an organization. It's, 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 or is it too you know, much? Seth, it's, it's, it's half dozen. So much media shit right now. It just seems so much drama around the team. Or well, is that media drama? No, listen. This is what happens in Philadelphia. You know, the A.J. Brown quote is kind of spot on. You know, the people in the media have to have something to talk about. You know, in the way that the Eagles, you know, plummeted into the abyss Everyone's trying to extrapolate, you know, the causes of what happened. And sooner or later, some of that information is going to leak out. So now it becomes a topic of conversation. But the truth of the matter is, 
Howie's got to go to work. Sirianni's got to go to work. Kellen Moore's got to go to work. Um, um, Vic Fangio's got to go to work. These players have got to go to work. And we are crazy to, to come out and start to begin to pontificate on what this team is going to look like until we see what the hell they look like. <laughs> I mean, how many, man, how, how many teams last, how many, how many people last year thought that Buffalo would start off the way it started off? How oh, many teams no last idea. year thought, really believe now? No, they the were Lions, like six or something or the, the Lions, the Lions were on an uptick. Yeah. Okay. But I didn't believe until I saw the video of Dan Campbell talking to his players about wearing the pads in camp. I didn't believe in that team. I didn't believe in Jared Goff until I seen that video. Okay? Guys, trust me. I know half of y'all looking at me like I'm crazy. Okay? But I'm telling you right now. Okay? We have to do this. We have to practice physicality. We have to practice with speed. I got to put the pads on you because the numbers say that you need the repetition and you need the physicality. Trust me. I'm not going to put you in the pads every single day. Okay. But we got to do this. Just trust me. Took them to the Super Bowl. Okay. So you're saying then this off season here that instead of breaking camp and walking out of OTAs and taking a look at those exhibition games, you think the Eagles need to be more serious about getting themselves prepared for September in Brazil than sitting there just walking into a game and trying to figure out if the Kobe Dean could play the first month of the season because Damn, we that, that's the biggest problem they had. They Damn. just assumed the kid could play. I'm like, how do you know? Dan, we talked about they 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 talked about because of scheduling and the East they have one of the worst schedules in my opinion. Okay. From from the timing and everything with two or three one o'clock games. Okay. And, and and then that three game stretch that they had, you know, with Dallas, the 49ers, and and I forget who the, who the, the third team was. Um, but you got to the end of the year, and everybody wanted to talk about how um how tired the team was. I'm like, dude, it's 52 weeks in a year. You got 35 of those weeks to get your fat ass in shape to play 17 weeks. Don't miss me with that, with that BS about being tired. Okay, but they were psychologically destroyed between the 49ers and the Cowboys game back to back. And they couldn't find, you know, their 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 psyche, you know, to fight and get back. Then they were scheme wise broke on defense and couldn't figure it out on the defense on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, And then, you know, come to find out they don't condition. They don't condition during the year. I'm like that blows my mind. Unbelievable! It's not like, I've never it's heard like, that. It, it, it's not like it's not like Buddy Ryan lining you up after a three-hour practice and having you run gassers, you know, across the field. You got five of them to death, okay? Or running ten hundred-yard striders, and you got fifteen to fourteen seconds to get them. Okay, <laughs> I'm not talking about that. Sixteen one If you but but if you lift during the season to maintain what you've built during the off season, don't you need to do some running during the yeah. season during the week? Absolutely. To get to to keep your cardiovascular where it needs to be, to make sure that you're in shape for the stretch run. You know, you throw all of those things into the pot, and these are the changes that the Eagles are going to have to make 
in order for them to get where they need to go. They need to begin to evaluate how they've been doing things. And when they came out of the out of the preseason and the way that they started, the lackluster way, even though they won, you heard Nick Sirianni say, well, maybe we need to start thinking about how we conduct our training camps and doing things just a little bit differently so that we can get off to a better start. That is why I'm in favor of the ego of the players playing during preseason because you can't make that leap from preseason to regular season and have it played and have the intensity ratchet up 15 to 20% and think that you're going to strive and be okay with that. Let's get away from this protectionism. Oh, we want to make sure we get all our guys to week one and they're all healthy. Well, hell, by the time you get to week three, 10 to 15 of them are already fucking hurt. Excuse yeah. my French. No, no, you know? no, no. Seth, so with your philosophy, what you're saying there, do you think because the offense became too predictable, throwing to the numbers, not very good coaching, inconsistency, three and outs, you think that wore the defense down and that's why you saw after week 12 or 13, you started seeing that run defense get run on who was really good early. They had no linebackers. The secondary was getting stretched out more with more developing routes. You think it was just a progression? And it, it was like a house of cards. It just eventually all fell in, and it the defense just fell apart. You know, <clears throat> my coaches used to always say, pay attention to the details. It's the small things. Because when enough small things begin to deteriorate and fall apart, they turn into big things. And more than anything, that's what I saw with this team. It was the little small things over time that kept piling up and piling up and piling up and piling up until the floor just fell out from under, you know. So that's that's how I kind of see, you know, how things fell apart, you know. And it was a conglomerate of many different things. You know that you've had a tough season when your special teams – which in a lot of ways cost you was part of the reason that cost you the Super Bowl the year before is the best of the three phases of your team. Special teams outstanding this year. Outstanding. That would special teams is better than the offense and the defense. Michael Clay got an extension because he did such a great job. And who would have thought that? And he should have. And I hope he comes in and do the same thing he did last year with this and, and can get can extrapolate the same kind of intensity and play out of these players, you know. And they go and get some more speed on the special teams based upon them understanding defensively that they need to get faster as, as a unit. That will translate to special teams as well. Seth, I got to tell you what Derek Brooks said to you, and he wanted me to convey this to you. I said to him, I go, you think Seth Joyner's a Hall of Fame player? He goes, yeah. He goes, he was my idol when I was at FSU. That's how I wanted to play. Wow. I wanted to play like him. And I go, well, I go, have you ever talked to him? So I gave him your number, if you don't mind. And I mm -hmm. said, I go, I go, you know, I thought Seth was a, on, uh, in, in the school of really great. But then I start looking at some of the people that people are debating. And I get people asking me now that are on the panels. And I go, you know, London Fletcher, you guys keep pimping him. He ain't better. Zach Thomas ain't better than that dude. Zach Thomas is a fine ball player. And, and you know what, Seth? No shade on Zach. No shade. He had a really fine career with the Dolphins. I go, but do you really actually think? And I even asked Jimmy. I go, 
coach, how many games you play against Seth Joyner? He goes, twice every year. And then sometimes in the playoffs. I go, you really think Zach's better than him? He goes, I never said that. And I go, okay, I just, you know, he goes, but I'm not going to say, I go, I got it. It's your guy. I got it. So, I mean, Seth, it must be frustrating a little bit sitting there knowing that other people, you know, look at your career and it's in the hands of pencil pushers. If Eric yeah. Allen can't get in, dude, oh, the chances of you getting in are zero. That's that's the one that like really chaps my ass is Eric Allen because there's no way in the world that he shouldn't be in uh, with his resume. But Dan, you know, I've gotten to the point now where it doesn't even bother me no more. It can't. It it's it just you know it doesn't bother me because um, I didn't play. I got Jason my, my, Cole on at four thirty, and I'm going to tell him what you say here if it doesn't bother you. Yeah, I, I, it doesn't bother me no more because. First of all, my love for the game and my desire to play at the pro level never developed because I wanted to be a Hall of Famer. It just is that's that's just the truth. I just love everything about the game of football and enjoyed playing it and wanted to play it at the highest level. Um, the second thing is when other people are subjectively determining whether you're worthy for such a reward or not, you have no control over that, you know, because those people are casting their votes and they're making those decisions based upon their opinions. And those are their, their opinions, you know? So if I, if, 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 if I can come to grips and reality with that, then I can be realistic with myself and say, you know what? The good Lord blessed me to play 13 years and to live my dream. I accomplished things that I didn't even think when I first got in was even possible. You know, it allowed me to live a lifestyle and take care of my family in a way, you know, that was unimaginable. So Reggie, for me, Reggie and Jerome and your coach overshadowed your career. Well, listen, I, I don't look at it that way. I, and, and this is why. If Jerome, you're telling me if Jerome didn't fulfill his destiny, he wouldn't be in Canton? Absolutely he would. Absolutely. No doubt about it. But 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 I don't look at it from that perspective because a lot of people will, you know, put that tag on me and say, oh, you know, he has such great players around him. That's why he was so great. I, I don't mean it that way. I'm no, saying no, no. I, I know. I know. I, I know you don't mean it that way. Right. But that's the way a lot of people will actually look at it. Okay. But my my retort to that is show me a Hall of Fame linebacker who didn't have a great front in front of. Him. Okay. Well, to LT included. Yeah, yeah. I mean, show me one who didn't have a great front in front of. Him, okay. There were times where I was blocked by an offensive tackle, which meant that Reggie White could be one on one against a guard. Okay. There were times where I was covering wide receivers and running backs and tight ends, like stuck to them like glue so that those guys could get sacks. Okay. So as my, I, I've always felt like as much as, as much as they helped my career, I helped their career. Okay. Those 52 sacks I got, I got those sacks. I beat those tackles. I beat those guards. I beat those tight ends. I beat those running backs to get them. Those interceptions that I got, I caught those balls, not anybody else in the secondary. Those fumbles that I forced, 
I came up and laid the wood and, 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 and forced the ball on the ground, you know? So that's kind of my retort to all of that, okay? Your opinion can be what it is, but the truth is the truth. And I said it loose like a lion. It doesn't need to be defended. No, no, no. Seth, I mean, I want one more on you here. What was it like to play with Andre and Durson and God? All them guys, man. I mean, Wes and Clyde it was great to play it was great to play Dan with guys who had a similar mentality to mine yeah but those you know guys were different yeah that yeah, unit I mean, you was just, different you, you, you gotta give credit to Buddy for being able to recognize that talent and put together a group of guys that played that way not once but twice okay it's like the purple people leaders and like doomsday and Gang Green and when I when I when I was in the league and he came down, Buddy came down and we saw watch film of you guys and Jerome with Norman Brayman and all those guys. We knew he was going there because Brayman was was a South Florida guy. We knew he was going, but we come and we're watching you guys and we're like, you know, Buddy takes the forty six down, manipulates the forty six with you guys. You're the perfect, like you're like a Tampa two. Before Tampa 2, Seth, I tell people this. What made you great was that you were the first linebacker that could cover a back, plug a hole, play a Tampa 2 type, and cover the middle of the field and blitz. Dude, guys at your era, LT blitzed. He could cover. He could play the run. But we're talking about the greatest in the game. Okay? You were like in that Mike Coffey. Mike was a great player, another underrated guy. The Lions guy, he was great. I think you're better. Okay, I'm just saying, man, when I when I when I put these lists together for these Hall of Fame voters like Jared Bell, and I and I and I put a little star and I go, what's your thoughts on Seth? Man, what a great player. Played on a great team. And I'm like, oh, well, wait. I didn't ask you about his team. I asked you what you thought about him. Well, but to my point, to my point, that's what he's saying without yeah. saying. That he says his, you're a product his, his, of the environment. His, his, his greatness and his ability to play was because of Reggie White, Jerome Brown, Mike Pitts, Mike Golick, Clyde Simmons. That's his reasoning why. That, that's and, and, that, that that, and that that to me tells me that, you know, that's somebody who really doesn't understand the game of football because everybody has a job to do. If I don't, like if I don't engine, do my right, Seth? You don't have all the spark plugs, engine don't run. Exactly. Exactly. I'll tell you what, man. This is when hey, the Eagles are. Will we not agree on one thing here. The Eagles are more entertaining now than they were during the regular season. <laughs> I tell you, with all the or or again, are you just looking at it like damn media dudes? See, it's always Seth brings me back into the players mode because my wife is always telling me this. Don't let those idiots bring you down into the gutter, dog. Remember where you came from, man. You came from a huddle in a in a locker room. You didn't come from a microphone. And I'm like, all right, you're right, man. I don't know. Hey, listen, I think man, it's gonna be entertaining. When it when it when it comes to Philadelphia, um, it's always gonna be like this. Always and, drama. And well, listen, especially there, there's more the media is more entertaining when the Eagles are losing than when they're winning. 
how strange is that? Now, the fans love it when you're winning. The, the media loves it when you're winning because you're moving in the right direction. But there's more to say and more to talk about and more buzz going on and more excitement around the team when they lose. Like when the Eagles lose and I go to my Twitter feed, I can't tell you how many people, man, I can't wait to hear what Seth has to say. I can't wait for Seth to rip him a new one. Just on and on and on, you know. <laughs> but if I sit there and I talk intelligently about why they won a game, that's not as interesting. Oh, okay. So they like the drama. I will wait, I swear to you, last one. Why do the Eagles care so much about how they're thought of publicly? Why is that such a Angelo went off on them in the last hour? He went, he go, he just he says that that organization cares so much about their public perception. Not that it's wrong. I don't think, I mean, but still, it's like. Craig Carton called me this morning. I'm laying in bed at 4.30. He calls me from his studio, Seth, and he goes, what's with the drama of people reaching out for a story from the Eagles here? What's the issue here? Why is it, why is it so important for them to control the narrative? It's, it's human nature, Dan. It's human nature. I'm answering my own question. I know. You're right. Well, I mean, listen, it's, it's, it's human nature. If... On a personal level, if someone came after you, you'd rebut it, you know, and they're in the the PR world on an even a more massive level yeah. than we are on an individual level. Correct. You know, they're controlling a five plus billion dollar entity that they want the world to love. They don't care if the fans, if there are alternate fans that don't like them, but, you know, they want to be loved at home. And they want to be looked at as a great organization. And there's nothing wrong with that, you know. So when you say something and they get their, you know, panties in a bunch over it, just just look at it purely as it's just human nature. You know, you would think that the last thing that they cared about is what you and I said about the organization. I care what I think. <laughs> you got a job to do and I got a job to do, you know. So why do you care about what I said? You know, when I had a, you know, the ex-assistant linebacker coach came up to me last summer and was like, yeah, I know that, you know, you weren't too happy with how, you know, our linebackers played and how we deployed them. And in my mind, while he's talking, I'm like, first of all, who are you? You know, second of all, and then I found out that he was, you know, the ex-assistant linebacker coach, you know, and then in my mind, I'm thinking to myself, I'm like, y'all really be sitting around over there? Who Listen, are what the you? hell I be saying? Who the fuck are you? <laughs> Excuse me. Oh, who are you again? Hey, Seth, tell folks when they can watch your show, man, because I know you do a great show too. You do your show and um, and it's is it Tuesday? Am I right when I say yes, that? It's, it's Tuesday, but I'm on hiatus right now. Okay. Uh, with the season being over, so I won't get started up until the new fiscal year starts. But I'm usually on on YouTube at Seth Joyner. You can follow me there. Please subscribe. And I'm usually on on Tuesdays, um, 730, um, 7.30 Eastern Standard Time. Um, so I'm going to try to up my game this year and dive into this whole, um, I'm not doing any, you know, any mock draft one-on-ones, but I'm going <laughs> to dive in. I'm going so to dive into, you know, 
the areas where the Eagles actually need um, help and begin to look at and break down some of those players that are coming out and looking at some of the players, you know, in the free agent market um, this year. I don't usually get into that. I don't really like, you know, a lot of that. But, you know, I realize that people, you know, football is a 11 month a year sport now. Um, and in order for me, you know, to maintain, you know, what I'm trying to build and how I'm trying to grow, you know, I've got to do that. So, you know, that's where I'll be. Well, we were lucky to catch him in between his uh, private planes down to Cancun for him to be able to. I don't fly private, man. I ain't got that kind of money, Dan. I don't fly <laughs> private. <man. laughs> Seth, thank you so much, man. You always do this for me. You spend so much time with us, man, and I thank you again. So proud that you're with us here. Thank you so much, my friend. I look forward to touching base with you again. Thank you, you Seth. All right, take care. You got it. The great Seth Joyner. That being said, we will take a timeout. Jason Cole will join us too. Pro Football Hall of Fame voter. We'll ask him about all that. Keep it here, National Football Show. bubbles and the bubbly go for the story and the stories go for the win go to ocean casino resort book your trip at theoceanac.com Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. 
Eagles. Big Sales National Football Show. I like how some of you folks sit here and think that I should have a bitching match with my guest like I have with you. He's an expert. Some of you are tools. I holler at tools, not my guest. And if you notice something else, they could disagree with my takes. That's their position. That's not going to change my position. The reason that we have the greatest guest list of anybody in sports in this country is because of how I handle my guest and why they come back on and why some assholes like you out there who have put these so-called narratives around my name, no one believes them. You want me to really scream at a 80-year-old or 70-year-old Merrill Reese, a guy I revere and respect in Seth Joyner, who I disagree with some of his takes. We get people on here to agree and disagree by making their positions. You want me to argue them? Totally don't get it. Remember, you're a nobody. Some of you, not all of you. You're a nobody. That's Seth Joyner. I'm going to listen to him when it's a difference of opinion with me. I'm not going to debate it with him. Jesus criminy. Crazy. <laughs> I mean, boy, I'll tell you something, man. So Angelo Cataldi was on with us earlier, and Seth Joyner just um, was on with us here for an hour and a half. And it was great stuff talking about the drama that's going on in Philly. And I'm going to start with our Hall of Fame voter, Jason Cole, with that now. And Jason, I mean... Derek Gunn, who I respect, and I'm wondering if you know who Derek Gunn is. I don't know Derek Gunn. Who is okay? He's been in the market for about 25 years, one of the more respected guys in the market. And I want to read you this. This is what he posted. And quite frankly, he's not like me, Jace, which means this. He's not a guy that's just going to throw shit against the wall and pray that it sticks and call it a story. (laughs) I'm not a journalist. But, Jason, I'm more of a talk show host. And right. you've known this yes. your entire life. And I think you and I think you appreciate that I, I don't consider myself a journalist. I'm not. Right. Okay? No, you're, you're, you're here to talk. And I'm, an inter- I, I'm more of an entertainer. That's, mm-hmm. and, and, and I have no problem saying that. This is what Derek Gunn posted. And, again, it's got over almost a million and a half views on it now. And this is what has been said. According to sources, Jalen and his big contract pulled in numerous directions on and off the field and under enormous pressure had issues handling it. Big Dom, the security man, was suspended, controlled Sirianni's emotions on the sideline. And in his absence, Nick had numerous arguments with players and coaches in game and at the back end of the season. That's why it kind of fell and imploded. So they had internal issues. And that's one of the more plugged in guys in Philly that covers the team. 
What's your takeaway on that? Well, I can't confirm or, you know, I don't well, know. I get it. It's more of an I, opinion. I'm, all right. So here's my opinion on it. It makes complete and total sense based on the way the team was playing during that stretch. You take from the San Francisco game on. Right. And I, and I thought about this, you know, I was watching. I was like, this is a team that doesn't look like – I don't want to say – it's wrong to say doesn't belong their leader, but is not behind their leader for some various reason, okay? Reasons, I should say. And you've seen this before when – oftentimes you'll see coaches when they sit there and they go, you guys keep screwing up and you're making me look bad. Um, when it's when it's me instead of we, players sniff that out in a hurry. If you start to fight with them on the sideline and blame them, they sniff that out in a hurry, right? Like you, yeah. you pick your as a coach, you you can it's pick like your spots. Guilt. Right. You can pick your spots. Sometimes you gotta choose somebody's ass, okay? And but it's still about root, right? And the way you the way you do that, like Andy Reid with Kadarius Tony. Yeah. At, at the end of the season, like it's like, okay, look, I can't play you. I'm not gonna get in a fight with you. I'm not gonna blame you. I'm not gonna throw you under the bus. I'm say anything bad publicly, but you're just not gonna play. Cause because you can't. You've made too many mistakes. I can't have you on the field. Ball players get that. They probably want it to a certain extent, but they don't want you coming out there, you know, you know, crapping all over them either during the middle of the game or in the press. And and when you do, I have seen teams flip coaches immediately when they start to do this. And that was the feeling I got from the yeah. Eagles. And this confirms that feeling. Now, I never reported that feeling. I just said, look, this is the team. I don't know why they're playing bad. But now that you fill in this blank, it starts to make more sense. With and, and, and Jason, it's like two different teams, so it does make sense. And again, we're going off of Derek Gunn's reporting. And again, I'm, I'm, telling, I'm telling Jason that he's a respected man in Philly. So you're going by that, and I want you, to, everyone, to know that. And so I'm, accept, I'm accepting point, what you're saying. But to your point, Jace, there they are humming away at 10 and one at the end of the season or one and seven with the playoff game. Well, I mean, they, it, they weren't you know, they, what you're saying. Right. Now they weren't playing great all the time during the 10 and one, but they were still Absolutely winning. They were, finding way, they were finding ways to win and then ways to win. But these, you know, then this exacerbates it. And the other thing that makes sense about Sirianni is, if you watch Sirianni when things are going good and, you know, he's puffing his chest and he's talking trash and, you know, he's, he's telling off the officials or and, he's and mugging for, right. And he's mugging for the cameras, right? Like that famous, you know, one that's now a meme, you know, from him from the playoff game where he's mugging for the camera where I was looking and go, dude, you ain't playing. Just go coach. Right. Right. Like, right. Like, you know, like that, don't do that, right? Um, you get the sense of a guy who wears his emotions on his sleeve, and that can that can be great at times. You know, Jimmy Johnson was a guy who wore his emotions on his sleeve. The good thing about Jimmy is he had players to back it up. 
and 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 that kind of emotion we were afraid of that emotion right it's a different kind of thing because he would yeah. he would think nothing about cutting somebody and saying you know you're gone right and he had the power to do it Sirianni doesn't have that kind of he doesn't have that kind of juice he right did. he can't walk in he can't walk in and cut somebody how he's gonna hey. say wait well, wait a second hey Jason so on the flight back from Washington after I told you this before they didn't feed him guys were talking and he goes like this you shut your effing mouth right now we're Cut you before the plane lands. Everyone's sitting there going, like, he said that? I'm like, yeah, it's that was Jimmy. Oh, that, Jim, that was Jimmy. Yeah. That was Jimmy? Okay. Yeah. I'll cut yeah. you before this plane lands. Yeah, he would. He would. Yes. I, yeah. he, he, I, look, I, you know, if you got the power to do it, that's why, you know, you, you do it. I just, uh, again, to get back to the original point. None of this surprises me. Um, I'm not saying that I know that for a fact that it's true, but it does not surprise me given the characteristics of the people in play and the way that the team performed for him. This team played like a team that had heard enough from the coach and was tired of the coach's BS um, at that moment. Then he's got to be on a short leash next year. Of course he does, because you can't look. Look, you can't lose the locker, right? You, you guys have to. You have to get guys to play for you. Whether you get guys to play for you because they love you, which is the best way to do it, or get guys to play for you because they hate you and they're scared of you, which is the Jimmy Johnson way of doing it. Um, you know they got to play for you, and if they're not playing for you, then why should I have you as a coach? Right, like it's it's that simple, right? I mean, I I I, I can't have it. So you got to go. Um, it doesn't matter how good you are in the X's and O's, but the guys have to the guys have to buy into what you're saying. And one of the things you can't do is consistently throw guys under the bus and rip into them. And I'm not saying you know, like people are going to confuse this that oh, you just have you know you're trying to give them a pat on the back and. And be nice to them all. No, it's that's not it. But you have to treat players like men. You know, you have to walk in and say, look, this is not good enough. And you have to play better. Not you suck as a human being and you're yeah. the reason we're losing. Okay. Like there's there's a difference there. You can totally. walk up to a guy, you can walk up to a guy and say, That ain't good enough. But that ain't good enough doesn't mean you're not a you're a bad person. Jimmy didn't give a shit if you were a good or bad person. He only cared you played. Right. Charles Why Haley wouldn't be on that team if he cared about any of that other BS. He just Absolutely. looked at you and went, hey, I got a production scale here. You give me shit, that scale better have a lot of production on it or you're right. out of here. <laughs> right. Yeah, you better be on that scale. <laughs> right. And that's, and that's how this works, right? That's that's how this always works. The the best players get to get away with the most. Now, hopefully, you have players. Your best players are not always getting away with a lot of stuff because then they're setting a tone for a bad locker room. But certain guys, Charles Haley was nuts, right? I Holy love Charles God. Haley. I love Charles Haley. Um, Crazy, but but do was you know if he oh, yeah, no. if he, if he was off his meds, right? You know he'll tell you that.
Hey, he so, would walk into yeah. a team meeting with no pants on with 45 people in the room and you're all sitting there going, I'm a little uncomfortable. <laughs> a little, little, little bit, a little bit. Hey, yeah, we're, I mean, we're, yeah. we're like this, look, really? Okay. I mean, I, I'm not. Let me go to the other part of that thing. Right, yeah. The Jalen Hurts not being able to. Boomer Sison said this on our program last year. He said, you know, when you get a contract like that, you got to learn how to play with it. And part of the con part of the comment was is that a lot of players in the room thought that he struggled with the money and a lot of people around him. And I'll tell you this too, Jace, for me, when I got a four hundred thousand dollar signing bonus, that was a lot back in eighty seven for me. And I got that money. I was like this. Hey, you know, I mean, it it it's a, a lot of people around you. It does <laughs> wobble you. So do you give him a pass on that? Because, again, he's a young player, too. And when you deal with that kind of – I'm not saying he was unprofessional. I'm just mm-hmm. saying I think that's an adjustment in your life. You go from this guy to that guy, that's a lot. I, I would want to know a little bit more about what okay. we're talking about. Okay. Before I pass judgment on that. Okay. And I would also say that, look, he just wasn't as good the, as he was the year before, right? Correct. Which I don't know if that's because he couldn't handle the contract or because other teams figured some stuff out. Yeah. Right? Like, yep. I mean, come on, you know, it's like, have you seen Lamar Jackson produce the kind of year that he had statistically that he had in 2019? No. And guess what? Lamar Jackson's probably never going to produce that. No, again. he was better that year than this last MVP year. No, I, no, I'm going to disagree with you that from this. Well, he led the NFL in touchdown passes, 36 that I, year. I, I understand. I understand where we're going. Okay, statistically, you look at it. 2019 is a better year. What I'm saying about Lamar Jackson, and I don't want to get this onto a Lamar Jackson discussion. I think he's a better quarterback. Okay today than he was in 2019 he yes, plays the fair. position better right yep yep and so with with Jalen Hurts you have that initial first year where you kind of take the league by storm and pe- you're doing things that everybody's not expecting they're figuring you out you come back the next year it's like okay we figured you out and we figured out the offense a little bit and you're still good enough to play really well on a 10-1 start Excuse me, but the edge between being that and having a one in you know six finish, you know, is, is razor thin. Or, you know, one in five, whatever their finish was, right? It's razor thin. What the what what the difference is, right? And then you get a couple of injuries. You know, AJ Brown's not playing as well. Smith's not, right? You know, Goddard's like some things happen and that are natural progression. And I think that this is part of his growth and maturity as a player. I, th- I think that may be a separate issue from the money, but the money may be an issue as well. I just don't know what it means. Like there's a difference between going out and I'm going to spend everywhere. I'm going to be out all night. I'm going to be doing this. I'm going to be doing that. And wow, the pressure is getting to me because I got paid and I got played like an MVP every, every week. Those are, those are two very different kinds of things. And I would want to know more before I pass judgment. Jason, you've been around probably almost all the owners, you know, either mm-hmm. NFL owners meetings and what have you, interviewing him, whatever. Jeffrey Laurie, what's your takeaway with him 
as an owner of the Eagles and his place in the league? I mean, do you think he's a good owner, great owner? Do you think he – because, again, he's owned a team for going on now 31 years, one championship. I believe it's one with McNabb, one with Wentz and Foles, and one here this last. So they've got three, three appearances. Okay, three NFC championships, um, a lot of playoff wins, one title. You know, no one's ever delivered a title since 60 there, obviously. Um, what's your takeaway on him? I think he's a very good to excellent owner. Um, and and uh, and let me start this. I remember one time, one of the first times I met him, he goes, yeah, I remember that interview in Miami you did where he said, I didn't know what I was doing. Uh, because I went on radio. <laughs> it's classic. I go, I went on radio, and this was early on when they were going through uh, who was who was the who was the coach before Andy Reid? Uh, Ray Rhodes. Yeah, were well, they going through the Ray Rhodes thing? And I just said, you know, the owner doesn't know what he's doing, and you know, it was early on, and he was probably still learning the learning the business quite a bit, and. He remembered that and he said something to me about it. And, and he was he was not confrontational about it in the he didn't get in my face about it, but it was like he was ready to remind me of it, right? You know, when things had turned around. So he's and a scoreboard kind of, guy. Oh, and 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 there's nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with being a scoreboard guy. If you pay attention to the scoreboard, it means that the scoreboard's important to you. <laughs> and you're trying to win, right? Like you're trying to win. You're paying attention, and I and I respect that. You know, um, as long as it's not like you know obnoxious. You get, as long as it's not obnoxious, and you want to get your pound of flush, like you know, I should be I should be held responsible for my opinion too. Like I don't have a problem with that. You know, you want to call me out? Go right ahead, because I called you out, right? Um, so so he remembers that, and I took it to this means a lot to him. This is not, he's not just collecting checks. Now he's collected a lot of checks. He's made a lot of money. Don't, don't, don't get me wrong. Um, and you could argue that he's maybe interfered sometimes too much. But I, I think it comes from a place of he wants to win. And the most important thing that you have to have in this league is you have to have an owner who wants to win. And it's important for that person to want to win. Okay. And if you have that, take it. Um, you can probably complain about this or that, or, you know, haven't won enough, you know, whatever you want to do. Right. But know very deep, deep in your, your, your psyche. Jeffrey Lurie wants to win football games. He wants to win championships and he's going to do everything he can to do that. And here's the other thing. You can't fire the owner. So be happy that you get an owner who, you know, he, he, he writes the checks. Okay. Be happy that he's like that. Maybe he's not perfect, but I think he's, he's in the easily in the upper, you know, five, six, seven owners in terms of trying to, trying to get this thing done and do the best you can. He just he doesn't necessarily have the right mix of players. I mean, you go look over at Clark Hunt in Kansas city. Desperately wanted to get this thing right. Hired Andy Reid and got Patrick Mahomes. He's a whole lot better owner now than he was in the in those days before they got Andy Reid. If you go and go back and look at how things were going in Kansas City early on, 
he's been a better owner. You could make the argument than his dad. I mean, his dad was maybe more influential in the business of the Mm -hmm. NFL. But as and and he won a Super Bowl, got to another one. I get it. They were always playoff teams. They were always competitive. I'm not throwing shade on Lamar. He's an important man in the history of the league. But Mm -hmm. I'm saying that you know, I mean, really comes down to the hiring of the coach, doesn't it, Jason? You get the right guy, then you find a quarterback. You look like you're the genius. Absolutely, and stay. And the most important thing is get people who know about football and stay out of the way. I've always said the job of the owner is to make the big high level decisions, but leave the day-to-day tasks to other people. You know, they're the, you know, you don't want, you don't want to be like um, the guys coming in and the players are talking to you, telling you how things should be run. No, no, no. You guys look at the players and say, you play for the coach, you know, and that's, and there are a lot of, like, that's what, Jerry Jones does that too much. He gets involved with the players too much. It's one thing to have a nice relationship and pat the guys on the back every once in a while. But you don't want to be talking about football with those guys. You don't no. want to be talking about X's and O's and how do you get along with the coach. You go, you know, like you're the player. You go work with the coach. Yeah. No, I, that, I, that's, I, that's, how that, that's how that should be. And I think that for the most part, Clark's like that. I think for the most part, um, Jeff Lurie is like that. I think he's had some moments when he's not, um, but there are moments when he's had to make some critical decisions, like getting rid of Chip Kelly. Right? Like he realized his mistake. He brought in Chip Kelly. He thought he was going to get something fantastic, something interesting, and then he found out right away Chip Kelly did not have the mindset to be an NFL head coach. And he may have to make the same decision with Nick Sirianni, which is why he's paying attention. He pays attention to the locker room, knows what's going on. But the fact that that in that story, the most disturbing thing to me in that story is that they had to have Dom on the field to to control it. Like this should be just a conversation. Like learn how to talk to your players, or learn how to be a pro on the sidelines instead of screaming at the Arizona Cardinals and Colts and Kansas City Chiefs fans and screaming at your coaches and players. I mean. He really is, and I said this, Jace, he may be a good coach, but when you, to me, I like guys like Tony Dungy. They don't get too high. They don't get too low when things mm-hmm. are going good on a team because players look over at that. I can be emotional. I'm a player. My coach can't be. When you're running around like a maniac and you look unprofessional, that makes me believe you're not qualified to be in that position. Well, let me take it. Let me take this another, uh, another step further. One of my favorite stories ever um, was it's an, it's an NBA thing. From the first time that the Dallas Mavericks went to the NBA Finals against Miami and they lost, right? And you remember Mark Cuban was on the side, was in the seats, right behind his bench, going crazy, screaming at the officials, losing his mind, right? Yep. And what happened? The players started doing the same thing. Because the players are sitting there going, if the owner's doing it, we can do it too. We're going to follow along, right? Because the leader, the whole, the biggest leader in the whole thing, the head of the snake, basically, is acting this way. So the, well, the next time, Piper. Right. So the next time they get in the finals, I think Avery Johnson was the coach. Avery Johnson went to him and said, Mark, you got to calm down because the players 
take take the lead from you. And I got to keep the players focused. I got to keep the players into it, even when the officials make a shitty call. Even when things go bad, I got to keep their minds into it so that we can overcome that. And when you lose your mind, they lose their mind, and I got to get them all back. And it becomes really hard to do that. That's where Sirianni is going to sit there and say, yeah, there's times you want to, you know, be a little bit of a braggart because that's who he is. But you got to reel it in. You got you're you're there to be a teacher. You're there to be a leader. You need to you need to keep your mind focused, and that's I think that's a really important. Lesson. It's got to be a problem solver when things are sideways. <coughs> to me, yeah. that's the mark of a great coach. Jason is when not when things are running great, but when things like Kyle Shanahan has injuries all over his football team, he calms the room down. Or when things aren't going well in Kansas City and the guys are dropping, you know, Kansas City had the most drops of any team in the league and they still won the Super Bowl, which is insane. Yeah. They led the NFL and dropped passes, but Mahomes and Reed kept going, it's all right, it's all right, it's all right. Keep hanging in there. Now, well, I mean, here's, a, well, here's another 15, one. I get it. From, from this season, who were who the players who were starting to lose their mind? Mahomes was starting to lose his mind. Kelsey was starting to lose his mind. Right, all these things are happening, and Reed just kind of keeps going. Now, Reed has taken his set of criticisms from some people that early, especially early on in his career, he was too level, and that when the games got bigger, Andy should have gotten, you know, should have pushed a little bit harder. But that's not his personality. But his personality is to ma maintain calm and go. We're going to work through this. We're going to work through it. We're going to work through it. And they did a couple of things. They hung in there with Valdez Scantling. He made two or three big catches in the playoffs. And they made a tough decision with Kadarius Tony. You know, and then enough. He's got to sit. And we're not gonna and we're not gonna engage him when he when he starts screaming and yelling in the playoffs about how he was okay and should have played and wasn't hurt and all this other stuff. We're not engaging him. We're not ripping him. We're not creating a distraction. But we're just gonna ignore it and move on. He's not gonna play because he's made too many mistakes. Jason, I want to I want to ask you a question about my friend Seth Joyner I just had on. Um, mm -hmm. I wonder how you look at and all your Hall of Fame voters look at this when you're looking at a guy. It has to be a metric that he makes. I don't know if there's a certain amount of Pro Bowls because that metric wobbles year in and year out. So you must you guys must look at more things at certain positions and certain people. One thing I respect about all you guys, I think there's 50 of you, right, mm -hmm. that vote on that thing. So I say this to you guys. So you don't really take one and put everyone in a sandbox and go, he's got to have this metric, this metric, this metric, and this metric. I talked to Derek Brooks about Seth Joyner. And I go, you know, he's one of the only guys with 20 picks and over 30 sacks in NFL history at the linebacker position. And I go <coughs> – he played with Reggie, and I asked Jared Bell about this. He goes, man, he was on a team with Wes Hopkins and Andre Waters and, you know, with Clyde Simmons and Reggie and Jerome, and, you know, Buddy was his coordinator. It was almost like he made it like he was a product of the environment. And I'm like, Derek Brooks said, hey, he was the first original Tampa 2-type linebacker that could plug a hole, cover a tight end, cover a back, and was a mean hitter. He goes, I was, that was my idol. And I'm sitting there thinking, how do you look at a guy like that that may not have 
the Pro Bowl's needed. But you know that dude, he's in the conversation with a London Fletcher. He he's he was one of the most instrumental guys in one of the greatest defenses in pro football history when you're talking about gang green. How, how do you look at that? Look, I I think Seth Schwinner was was a very good, excellent player, right? So and he's possibly, in that room. And he's possibly deserving. This is my initial phase. I haven't studied it, right? And I would say there's probably an argument that he should be, you know, in the top 25, maybe even in the top 15 some year, depending on the year, depending on the players who are in it, and, and deserves a thorough vetting, right? He's a little bit far down the line at this point yep. in time. Yep. And so that may, that time may have passed. And I I've been a voter for 11 years, so I don't know if you know where I am on that responsibility list. Um, but probably should think about him a little bit more. At the same time, I haven't had a lot of people come up to me and say, "God, you guys are really missing it on Seth Joyner. You guys, you know, this guy should really be in the room. He should be discussed. He should, you know, be talked about." Um, and maybe I just haven't heard that conversation. Maybe it doesn't exist. So right now, it's like, okay, I'll go do some reading and I'll do some research on on, on Seth Joyner. I'm not sure he's I'm not sure there's enough time to get him through that process. No, no, no. I would I would say this to you. So there's gotta be a ton of people then, like Dennis Hara, that, that just fell through the seven-time pro bowler. Every year he played, he was on one of the one or two, and he's a friend of mine, obviously, a hurricane. And he he um he played with those Rams teams, and he had Slater next to him, of course. And here's mm -hmm. a seven-time Pro Bowler who never played on an offensive rushing attack with Dickerson that was never out of the top three in rushing. And how is a guy like that, who's a seven-time Pro Bowler, overlooked with some of the guys that are getting into the Pro Football Hall of Fame? I mean – no disrespect to some guys, man. The kid from Pittsburgh going in a couple of years ago, and you look at a guy who was a seven-time. You're talking about Fanica? Yeah, and I'm like, Alan Fanica's better than Dennis Hara? I don't think so. Look, Dennis Hara's, you know, I wasn't covering all when Dennis Hara, Dennis Hara played. He was on what was then my favorite team. You know, I was a Rams fan growing up. That died when they left Southern That John Robinson team? Yeah, I love that John Robinson. I love that. I go back to you know, <laughs> I go back to Ground Chuck with Chuck Knox, right? Yeah. You know, I remember Ray Ray Malavese and Vince Ferragamo, right? I was in high school at that time, so I I, I know the Rams pretty well. You know, Jack Youngblood, like yep. That's John. That's John Wayne of football, right? Like, <laughs> right. He's a Gator, but I love him. He's a but he's a, <laughs> but you know he's a badass, right? Oh, badass. He and now, been, he now that they've done that nineteen sixty. Add into the sacks, he's fifth all time. Right, and if he had been, and if he had been a cane, he would have been a great cane. <laughs> he would have, he would have fit he's right a gator, in with, with <laughs> him and Ted Hendricks. Um, oh wow! You, could you imagine those two guys together? Oh my god, they uh, played at around the same time too, which is I crazy. Know. Yeah, those those two were nuts. But yeah, I mean, what, what I, I guess what I'm saying is like there are guys who fall in the, fall through the cracks. Man, it's a, it's a tough deal, man. I'm not, I'm not, this is not easy, which is why the, which is why the senior pro process exists. 
and why, you know, I'm not, I'm not a fan of the senior process because sometimes I think we bring up too many guys. It changes history. Right. But, but I'm at the same time, I'm like, it, it serves a purpose. There are some guys who get overlooked and they, you know, they deserve another chance. And I know that it becomes a long shot chance, but they deserve another chance. And so I'm, you know, as much as I'm, as much as I'm critical of it, I'm not saying do away. I would never say do away with it. And so a guy like a Dennis Harris, a guy like a Seth Joyner, you've got to have outlets for those guys. We should be discussing a lot of guys in that room and considering it. I mean, I was, I know Art Powell did not get in this year, but I think it was a, it was good that Art Powell was discussed, right? I think it was important that Art Powell was discussed. You I think Marvin Buddy Powell, um, you think Marvin Powell deserves consideration? Head of the union at one time. Um, Plate was a six-time Pro Bowler. I don't know Marvin's. I know the name. I don't know. Okay. I don't know right. all. I don't know enough of the history to. Case there's so many right. great ones, you know. Yeah, this is what it is. I will also say this. <clears throat> there's a there's a little, and I and the Pro Bowl doesn't mean as much because like so many guys now. Well, today it, it doesn't. Then it did maybe. It did, but it did. And at the same time, the way that we analyze players is more sophisticated today than it was then. Oh. The great the grading of players, the examination of players, the the discussion of players is much deeper than it is today than it was then. The league's bigger. You know, we're 32 teams. We're talking yep. you were talking about a league that was 26. Yeah, 26 you know? at the time. Right. Right. So so there's some growth there. And and so while I while I agree Dennis Hare was a great player and part of a great offensive line, a really great Tom Newberry, um, was it Rich Saul on that line? Yeah, Rich Saul was on that team. I played against yeah. that old line. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a really great, you know, typical John Robinson. The year, get you this, were, the year that Dickerson left to show you how great that line was, Charles Charles White, who never really had a great NFL career. He becomes the back for Dickerson when Dickerson went to Indianapolis. Sure. He had 1,300 yards that year. I don't know. He was, really good. he was a really good player. Charles White was a real – not a great player, really good player. But, but when you're behind line, a line like that, you're going yeah. places. Yeah, I mean, and and when you're basically going, we're just going to maul you. Like, Shit, Tom Newberry, because, what a great guard. Yeah, I mean, there's – well, I thought Newberry was the center. Maybe I'm remembering. Oh, he, no, 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 no. Saul was the center. So Newberry I was the center. Was Newberry the was the right guard. Yep. Who was our, I can't, the right tackle was a good another good player. Oh, he but. was another good one. I can't remember him, but I get this. Here on my side, when the Bucks went to Anaheim, we're playing at the big A. They had been booted out of the Coliseum for some reason. I think the Raiders no, were no, they, they left on they left on their own. Oh, they okay. So we're playing at the big A. Yeah. We're playing at the big A. I've got Jackie Slater, who's a dear friend today. And, of course, Dennis. Dennis goes, hey, man, what's up? And I'm like, these guys were like this. Big. Dennis is 6'6". Six, six. And, and and Jackie, I got a great picture with he and my wife. We're great friends. And he's like 6'6". Six, six. The thing was enormous, man. Oh, they, were, they were, were gargantuan. They were, a, they were a USC line. You know, the, the old Because USC of John line. Robinson. That's a great call. Robinson. You're right. We're just coming. We're just coming in, and we're coming in with six foot five, six foot six guys. 
that it's the old um parcells was like this too but john robinson was like this um have the all the have all those guys line up and to be the first ones to walk off the bus like in high school remember in high school like the you the, the bus would pull up and make sure all the biggest guys got off first because hey, hey, like, uh, they didn't weigh those guys on normal scales they were toledo's <laughs> yeah, uh, they were just—they were big men, and they just—and and they were road grading. Oh God! They were road grading at a time when it was—you know—road grading was hard. Like oh. they could road grade people then. Today, road grading is not as hard because of the way you have to play defense and how and how you have to be lighter on defense so much. It's—you still can't do it because people just aren't going to run downhill all the time, but. But the, the to be able to road grade uh, on blocks and just slobber knock people all the time mm. is just a testimony to how great they were. So yeah, I mean, it's personally, I would love to have Dennis Harris discussed in the room. I was a, I was a fan of Dennis. Kuchenberg just he couldn't get enough support. You know, he had, I've never been in there when Kuchenberg's name came up. And is that Armando? Know, no, that was that was that was Pope. That was okay. Edwin Pope. Edwin Pope was the guy. Um, and Edwin's, you know, we've lost both Cooch and. Oh, and yes. Edwin I'm an Edwin Pope guy. He loved me. Yeah, ab absolutely. But, you know, even Edwin couldn't get quite enough. And I think the problem with Kuchenberg is there were already too many guys off that 72 team who had gotten in. Like, the I, fact never respect, matter, I never respected that. that that well, you know, yeah. I'm not, I, I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's a good argument. I'm just saying oh. that it happens. Yes. Okay. You're right. People get. People, they you know, said that like, about oh, got, the Steelers. Right. Well, it's like, okay, we got Larry Little in. We got, um, we got, you know, Jim the Langer. In, in. We got Greasy in. We got Zonka in. We got um, the centers in. in. Yeah. Right. Um, like we got all these guys in. Bonacani's like, in. Look here. Let me just say this, because I I sometimes wonder about it myself. There's like 13 guys who are members of the Packers in the mid-60s who are in. 13. Out okay. of 22. Wow. No, not out of 22. Out of, out of, you know, just make it 40, you know, like. No, out of 22 get, starters. 22 starters, a 40-man roster, right? And yep. I know that the roster's changed a little bit, yep, yep, but it's yep. still a 40-man roster. And so you're telling me that 13 guys – 13 belong in the Hall of Fame from I mean I know they were great but 13 you think the mystique of Lombardi got most of those guys in I, well, the mystique of the Packers you know and it's I, it, so like Jim Ringo you would question I I, I the guard who's the guard who just got in who Kramer. was yeah Jerry Kramer I was like really like another one? And and I'm not saying I look, I was a baby still when that team was winning titles. So the entire backfield's in. Right. Like you know, like quarterback, the two backs are in the Hall of Fame. Three offensive linemen, you know, David Robinson, you know, like just Forrest there's Greg. a ton of guys. Forrest Greg, like it's just a ton of guys. And I'm like, wait a sec, 13 guys were Hall of Famers. They did, they, did win, they win, did win five titles in nine years, and they're the last team to go three yeah, but, in a row. Right. I understand that. But 
like they didn't go undefeated for five years. No. You know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? Like I, there's, no. there's a certain point at which like you start to say, and, and I'm a big believer in winning, don't get me wrong. But it was a 14 team league. 14 teams. Times so you're 40. saying the sports riders had a lot to do depending on what, what city I'm saying you is were in. The, the league had about the league had about 600 players at the time, right? Right? It's not that big a league. Today the league has close to 2000 players. But you're saying to me that 13 of them when the league was 600 players, there's 13 guys on one team? Like this is where I start to go this is where I start to question the senior process and start to say, hey, wait a second. Like, you know, like, yeah, there were a lot of great players in the past, but the standard, you know, what's the standard? Because there's a lot of great players now who would, I'd argue, were every bit as good, if not better, than those other guys who played in the past, right? And now, oh, yeah. uh, some, some of you that is- do you think Carol Carmichael's a, a Hall of Famer? No. I wasn't on that committee. No. Yeah. He's in. Congratulations. He's a gold jacket. I would never disrespect him, but I wouldn't have voted for him. And let me just say this. I grew up watching Harold Carmichael. I loved Harold Carmichael. I loved to watch, you know, like you would sit there and go, let me how do you how do you make that move? And you'd go out in the and you'd go out on the street and you go, okay, let me see if I can make this kind of move. And then you realize I'm not six foot seven, right? Yeah, right. I can't do this, right? And I'd like and or I'd pretend, you know, for a for a half a second that I was Harold Jackson running under a pass from James Harris, right? Or, you know, Drew Pearson, right? But you're telling me that Drew Pearson and Harold Carmichael are Hall of Famers, and I'm like Heinz Ward may never get a shot, right? 13, and you're telling I'm telling I'm telling you right now. I think okay. Heinz I Ward see how no no I see how you look at it. And to for the record, in '66 the roster was 36. Even 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 better. That my point is that you're now you're talking about 13 out of 36, right? We're Hall 13 of 13 guys are Hall of Famers. A third of the guys on the team, yeah, were a all third of the roster was Hall of Famers. And by the way, if you remember right, the year before in '59, they won one game. I just, I, and, I, and I'm trying to take shots at the Packers because they're a historic team, they're important. But I just, I, 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 I fight against the, is this really better players or are we talking about mystique? Is this really better players or are we talking about people's childhoods, you know, where they held reverence for these guys? Like when I look at Drew Pearson, I was like, Tony Hill was better. Right? And not because he went to Stanford, but because Tony Hill was better, you know, in a lot of those years, right? And Drew Pearson, I just go, Hall of Fame, Drew Pearson? Really? I, 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 just, I, I just, really? You better watch out, Cowboy fans. I said, hey, look, I forget. But he's in. You know, I, I'm only one guy. I'm only one guy. But I just sit there and go, what? 
Are, if we're doing that, like Harold Jackson was a really great player. If you go look at the stats and look at the numbers, you think you they go should go the away with the um, Veterans Committee? Well, I'm just saying, if you put Drew Pearson in the Hall of Fame, when do I get to make an, a discussion for Harold Jackson? And let me just say this. I love Harold Jackson. I was a Rams fan growing up. He's not a Hall of Famer. But he's a Hall of Fame player. He's not a, Harold Jackson is not a Hall of Fame player. But if Drew Pearson is, that's what, what I'm saying. What's the difference between Harold Jackson no. and Drew Pearson? No. Drew Pearson played for the Cowboys. He won championships. He had titles. So that is the difference. And I respect that. And I and I give it to Drew Pearson. But I watched them both play. And I may not be an expert, but I can tell you this. Harold Jackson was every bit as good as Drew Pearson as a player. You may not be an expert, but you are a voter, and it matters. And, Jason, I love talking with you. Thank you so much for your national perspective on this. Oh, I want to leave you with one more. Okay. Mike Evans, do you think it's a real thing that the Kansas City Chiefs are going to go heavy in on him? There's a conversation yes. going. The only reason that it wouldn't – they said how much and to what degree will they have to go to to try to go, yeah. but – Mike Evans going to Kansas City, do you think it's a thing? I think it's absolutely a thing because I know that Brett Veach has said privately because he wouldn't say it publicly because he would have been throwing his guys under the bus, but he has privately said, I'm not going to do this to my quarterback again. I'm not going to overestimate what I have at wide receiver. Good okay? night. Mike right. Evans in Kansas City. <laughs> but let me just say this. They, they should do two things. They should go get Mike Evans – or a vet or a veteran receiver like Mike Evans. And he doesn't have to be as good as Mike Evans. He can be um Jeremy Smith or Jojo. Who am I thinking of? Smith Smith Schuster. The kid yes, that they I, have. Uh, yeah. yeah. Juju Smith Schuster. Juju Smith Schuster. Went to New England. Yeah. It can be a guy like that who just again, what does he do? He runs the right routes, he's in the right place, he catches the ball. That's all they needed. They would have won three more games this year, and we wouldn't have been calling this some magical mystery ride if they just caught the ball, right, during the regular season. They would have won three more games. And so get guys who are competent, get at least one more guy who's competent who catches the ball. Mike Evans would be really nice because he's a little bit more than just competent. He's a very good player. But I would get Evans, and then I would come back and I would draft one in this draft because you're deep. And I would even try and move up and maybe get from one of the kids from Washington. You don't yeah. have to get the number one kid. But you can get the, yeah, but you can get the other kid. You know, yep. I mean, they had th they had three guys. He's a top play, thirty-two right? guy, right? So I'm going to go get two more guys because at least I'll have one vet who I'm not going to have to worry about. And while that guy is still on my team, I'm developing the other young guy, and that way I can leave Rasheed Rice to be the underneath guy and be the number three, right? And now I'm all of a sudden I'm taking even more pressure off of Kelsey in the middle, and I maybe I can stretch out Kelsey for not just one or two. You know, maybe I can stretch out Kelsey for two, three more years because I'm not asking so much. Jason, I, I, I just got this confirmed, and I just saw some of my friends are saying it too. And I want, I want to preface this before you answer it. You know, being around in San Diego, I got a chance to know the Aztec football program 
the athletic director, J.D. Wicker. I knew the prosecutor. I knew the lawyer. And I talked to everyone on Matarism. And Matarism was vindicated. All those charges. And now he's been signed by the Chiefs. Yep. Here's a guy that averaged 52 yards a punt in college. And when he was up in Buffalo, all they could just rave about, well, what if game changer, almost like the conversations you used to have in a day about Ray Guy. What's your mm -hmm. takeaway on the Chiefs signing a guy with, how about this, perception issues, because some are still not going to look at it, even though, because we know how society is today. Well, look, he, was, he, wasn't th he wasn't there. That's been confirmed. Right. Wasn't he, there. Wasn't, he wasn't there. That doesn't mean – that's not to say that he's like a super good guy. No, no. He, I don't know anything about the guy. I don't know if he is a good guy or not a good guy. I'm not going to vouch for the guy. Neither am I. But, but here's the bottom line. He wasn't there. Right. It's as simple as that. So he should have a chance to further his career. If he wasn't there and he's not guilty of what he was accused of, he's, you know, like he should get a chance to play. Did it need to be an organization like the Chiefs? with the Hunt family, with Andy Reid? Did it need to be somebody like that that has a Brett Veach in the building and all that leadership in the building to bring a yeah. guy like that in that could withstand the negativity that the organization may take with some outlier people? I mean, it, it, look, it helps because they've got a cache. Of, you know, they can cash some chips right now, right? Yeah. So, sit there and say, look, you know, we just won a Super Bowl. We 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 do a good job of trying to you know take get the right people in here and do the best we can, right? Um, but it's a careful balance, and I'm sure there are going to be people who are upset about it, and and you know maybe rightfully so because somewhere along the line, let's just say this with a really, he's not guilty of anything, but he got himself involved in something that is certainly untoward, right? Like yes, he was. It's like you know, if I was the kid's dad, I'd like, what were you doing there? Yeah, no. I, yeah, what what was what was going on? You know, like what happened? What happened that you were in any way involved? Now, maybe it is that she was just you know looking for a payoff, and she included him in the lawsuit, and then that's not his fault. But maybe it's like you know, you got bad friends, you got bad you got bad people around you who do bad things. Oh, you're you you're talking not... more about decision making, like your decision. Right, you're talking about issues, right? Hey, hey, look that that is part that is all part of it, uh, you know. And and who do you surround yourself with if you want to be successful? You know, because those people who are around you are going to influence you uh, influence a lot of your decisions. Some of those people you got to kick to the curb, or you got to keep them at a certain distance. You know, those are the people who undermine Michael Vick's career. He wasn't strong enough to kick people out of his life who were going to get into trouble. He went along with it, right? That that undermined his career. Okay, that doesn't. He's responsible for that, but you know they played their part. Okay, you got to make better decisions, you know, along the way. And somewhere along the way, Arisa is like, look, I got a career, I got a life, I got I got to walk away from this, and walk away from you guys. <coughs> If you're going to get me involved in things that are that are you know that can hurt me, or if you know that we're friends, and I was at this party, 
don't be doing stuff like this. Don't, you know, like, don't get me in it. And, and I know that I'm asking, you know, I'm, I'm playing a lot of hypotheticals out here. And the kid's in the league, and he's going to get his chance, and he deserves another chance to play. That's absolute. But question the people that you're around you if you want to have this kind of career. You can support them. You can send them money. Yeah, it's like this. Guys talk about, well, that's my family. Those are my friends. Those are the people who raised me. Good. Send them, send them a check for five grand. Hey, hey, man, if that guy's hurt my anything, I'll see you later, guy. That's not how I run. Well, I, mean, I, I remember talking to Plaxico, when I read Plaxico Burris's book, right? And he was talking about, you know, he had like four or five of his buddies from, from down in Newport News living in his house. And he goes, yeah, a couple of guys, they stole this, they stole that, they took checks out of my checkbook, they got into trouble around town. And he goes, he came in one day, he goes, you all are out of here. You're all out, gone, gonzo. He goes, it's making my life too complicated. This is a wreck, you're all out, okay? I know another player, They were the team was about to give him a gigantic contract. He had three or four of his boys living at the house. Team said, We'll give you this contract, but the boys got to go. And he walked in that day. He went down. He said, you're all out. Okay? Because they don't want trouble. I don't need your 25-year-old hanger-on buddy from college hanging at the house. He's going right to do something stupid. He's going to do something stupid. Okay? Right on, my friend. Another great conversation, as always. Thank you so much for everything you do for me, man. You're always there for me, and I thank you so much. And keep doing what you do. Thank you so much, Jace. I will see you, dude. Be good. You got it. Our good friend, Jason Cole. We so look forward to him each and every single week. Please hit the like button. Keep it here, National Football Show. bubbly go for the story and the stories go for the win go to ocean casino resort book your trip at theoceanac.com
Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their fantasy pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game. And the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. So now they're getting on Taylor Swift for gunning beers at NFL games. Don't you have anything better to do with your lives? I think the chick's a superstar. I I, I don't know anything about her music. I, I seriously, I'm, I don't know anything about her music. But watching her gun beers, hanging out at ball games, she's a 33-year-old girl. Better yet, she's a 33-year-old woman. And you got women out there, oh, excuse me, men, who are like, she really doesn't set a great example by gunning beers at football games. And I'm, be, and I'm like, who are you people? Have you ever been to a football game? Have you ever had a good time in your life? Or are you just miserable? The richest chick in entertainment today is... Taylor Swift, she doesn't need the NFL. My wife says this all the time. You guys are high if you think she needs to show up at stadiums. She could buy two NFL teams and still have money for Sunday's dinner in cash. I mean, she doesn't need this shit. So I think it's genuine. I, you know, I got NFL friends of mine. I get NFL friends of mine who go, thrown in the game. And I'm like, you're kidding. A woman gunning beers, having a fun time, put on the TV set for 30 seconds is ruining the game? I mean, get a life. And I don't even like her music. I don't even like her music. Yeah, I'm awake or you are one of them assholes that like to tell you how to live your life. Taylor Swift talk again? I hate it. Oh, my God, this is a man's bar. We don't have anybody in here. I, that, that's the kind of guy you don't go to a bar with. You know why? What did I tell you about Big Sills? Big Sills doesn't show up to bars with dudes, okay? You better have some women there because if there's just dudes at the bar and you're doing a fantasy football night, that ain't working for me. Hey, Sills, we got about 30 guys tonight. We're going to pick our uh, fantasy football teams. Yeah, count me out. Is your wife coming? No, it's just the guys. Eh. <laughs> Big Sills don't go to bars like that, man. Eh, you know, what do, what do you mean by that? I go, I go to bars with women. I don't hang out with dudes. Yeah, but the, you know what? There's about 30 of us. That's even worse. It ain't working for me. 
Come on, Sills. It's about 30 of us. We're going to pick our fantasy team. Or we're going to have our draft parties. Just a bunch of guys. And, and I'm out of that one. It's not going to work for me. Too much Taylor Swift talk. Okay? <clears throat> He's a big guy. <laughs> Come on, man. You know me better than that. You know I like throwing gut punches. Come on, Awaker, you. It's all good, dude. Why? You throw them at me. Suck it up, kid. Callie Green is the only snowflake in here today. It's all good. You know what? I got to take a shit on Xander here for a second. <laughs> I got to take a shit on Xander here for a minute. Damn, Xander. Your school, Alabama, forced out Eli Gold? Man. Damn, dog. Eli Gold? You got that's like booting out Merrill Reese. You booted out Eli Gold. Seven national championships. He called for Alabama. And Eli was like this. I'm gonna get him on. Yes. They pushed me out. <laughs> Nick Saban's out. A lot of changes at Bama. I can't wait to see what this thing looks like. I can't. Changing your play-by-play -play guy. Damn, Xander. Bama guy's making a ton of changes. <laughs> I know Xander's like this. Dude, that's blasphemy, man. Eli's a legend. I know. Hey, you ever hear that guy call a NASCAR race? And I don't really like NASCAR and radio. But that thing was gold. No pun intended. Dude, that guy's a rock star radio man. I mean, I am, I'm a huge Eli Gold fan. I think Xander got him on here a couple years ago when we were talking Alabama. And me and him go back a long way. I love the guy, man. Dude, one of the greatest broadcasters of all time. They push his ass out. I think he's 70 and he's not healthy. You know, a couple years ago, he had some health issues. Anyway. So, are you guys feeling a little bit better after Seth gave some good comments towards Carson Hurts? Are you feeling better about Carson Hurts? Do you feel better? Are you feeling a little bit better about Carson Hurts? Yes or no? We're going to reset here. John says, I feel the same way about Carson Hurts. Am I saying that right? <laughs> yeah. You feel good about him? Never wavered. Who's Jalen Wentz? <laughs> Jalen Wentz. Okay. I think it's more Carson Hurts. C before J. <laughs> How you doing? Okay. Jalen Hurts. Hey, look at Joey. That We now know that T.O. watches the show. Jalen Hurts is our quarterback. 
Okay. I'm a bastard. Yeah, I've been called that numerous times. I think Seth knows the game, and I feel a lot better about him getting a more inter- interactive offense. Slagger, I think you're correct. All kidding aside, more concerned. That's, hey, man, Rico, great topic. The concerns now shift, you think, a little bit away from the quarterback and maybe to the head coach on OC, maybe even the DC, right? Maybe even the DC. Correct? Look at him. Some of you people in here are so funny. Look at Callie Green. I guess Tony's is gone. What, how would I know? Dude, I'm a football player. I'm a radio guy. I'm a broadcaster. I don't own the bitch. I have no idea. I don't know who makes more money than me. I don't know if anybody does. Well, I think Seth does. But hey, who's keeping score here? That's not my concern. I don't know why you guys, what do you care? What are you, a programmer? Shut the hell up. Who cares? This is the NFL, Jacob Media. Things change. People change. Not the personal. Relax. Calm yourselves. Hey, what? what we, I mean, this is a perfect example why you guys fall in love with your ego, guys. I'm not getting rid of him. Brady Graham's my guy. He's my guy. Hey, I want the roster spot. He's not good anymore. Let's go. Let's move it. Okay. What's going on? I don't know. What do you think? Dude, do you think people sit around and talk broadcasting to me about this? They don't. Stop it. I have no idea. None. Two to six. How you doing? Good night. Button pushed, button closed. Good night. Stop talking to me like that. Do I look like a guy that knows shit and has a plan? Like the Joker. I chase ambulances. Jesus, mud on to me. I do like, though, Carson Hurts. Because he was more like Carson Hurts. Okay? This past year. All right. Jalen still can't read a field or a defense. That's what Kellen Moore, in my opinion, has been brought in for. Carson was better. Was Carson Wentz? That's a great question. Was Carson Wentz more talented than Hurts? I hate to say this. Hertz needs these receivers. Wentz didn't need these receivers. Had better years than than Jalen, didn't he? The year he threw for four grand, he didn't have a thousand yard receiver, did he? I don't think he had a receiver that was over five hundred yards. How did he throw for four thousand yards that year? So wait a minute. Wentz needed less. 
Hertz needs more. Hertz is a more mentally tougher guy. Yes. We should do that one day. We should do the check boxes. Hey, RPD. Jalen Hurts has never had a better year than Carson Wentz. Ever. Ever. Carson's never literally won a playoff game. <laughs> okay. So Dan Marino's got a losing record in the postseason. You think Jalen Hurts is better because he's two and three. He's been to a Super Bowl. And he's better than Marino. Solid take. Or no, that Jalen's a better quarterback than Josh Allen because he's been to a Super Bowl. <laughs> Nobody outside of Philadelphia with that stupid take would take Hurts over Josh Allen. Nobody. Nobody. I'm not a Wentz fan either, but Yale. He probably had a better career than Jalen's having so far. His first three years compared to Jalen's first three years. I like that look. And you won a Super Bowl and home field advantage because of him. You you don't win home field advantage. In 17, if Wentz is not your quarterback, he was 11 and 2. Let me take a look at that. Carson Wentz's first three years in the league. Carson Wentz stats. Let's take a look at that. <clears throat> yeah. Carson Wentz's rookie year was trash. I don't think much of Jalen Hurts' rookie year. So he says this is trash. 37-82, 16 touchdowns, 14 picks. He threw the ball 600 times. Your boy's never threw the ball, throwing the ball over 600 times. Ever. Second year, he had 33 touchdowns. <laughs> Look at this. 27, 82, 3496, 3174, 4039, 27 touchdowns, 21 touchdowns, 33 touchdowns, 27 touchdowns. Come on, man. Hurts is better. <laughs> okay, yeah, I don't think that says that, but all right. How you doing? See, I'm here to do truth, justice, and the Big Sills way. Let's get to A.J. Brown here and his moaning and crying about the media. I can't take it. The big, bad Silvio throw shade at me. These people like to just say shit and say it. And it, I mean, well, then ask for a trade, guy. You can't handle it. Hey, AJ Owens, if you can't handle it and you can't handle the truth, it's time for a code red. Let's go. <laughs> Yell goes, is that real? Hey, Yell, if somebody was tweeting 
trust me, in these last couple days, like Sander, Sander texted me this morning. Hey, is that you? No. Okay. <laughs> is that you? No, it's not me. Okay, good. I'm going to watching the whole deal right now, man. Is that you? No, I'm not doing any of that. If somebody was tweeting or posting some shit about me, and it was not from me, but people had put it out there, and the account is still active, X would pull, they would pull it down. They would pull that thing down. They wouldn't keep that bitch up. It's him. You see, what it does, it gives him an out. Because if something is tweeted kind of shitty, he can always go like this now. Wasn't me. What a, what a brilliant... Hey, I'm going to do that. Xander Krause is now in charge of my Twitter. <laughs> hey, Xander, Xander runs my Twitter now. Xander... And Bill, what's his name? Calarulo, the Paisan. Bill Calarulo, Mark Farzetta, and and uh, Xander run my and Big Joe, Big Joe Krause. They all run my Twitter page. I'm not, I have nothing to do with it anymore. <laughs> Everyone's probably gonna they're gonna be texting me going, "Hey Sills, you know with that Twitter account of yours has got you in quite a bit of trouble. I want it made public. I have nothing to do with that thing." <laughs> Oh, bro, we're talking about troll accounts. The guy's got 270,000 people on it. It's his account. LJ. <laughs> hey, Lojack. Is that what LJ means? Come on, dog. Hey, stop crying, dude. Go play some football. You and those diva wide receivers in the NFL. It's exactly what the team doesn't need. They don't need some loose cannon like you right now. Shut up. Okay? Honest to God, T.L. Brown, relax. He's starting to come unglued a little. Okay? Come on, man. Let's start to do this thing right here. Hey, I, I yell. I get it. Shut the account down. Very simple. Shut the account down. Seals takes troll accounts as fact. <laughs> Hoss, anything against your little thing or whatever, how you think, is a troll. You thought Barrett Brooks was lying. He ain't lying now. So let me get this right. Barrett Brooks. D-Gun. Um, who else? Oh, what's the timeline? Kevin Byard. Britton Covey. Oh, wait, he's the liar. All those guys were lying. But not, but not Britton Covey. Who follows me on Twitter, by the way. You act like AJ can call Elon Musk on speed dial and take down the account. 
You're such an idiot, senor. You know for a fact, all you have to do is go on Twitter, click fraudulent account or impersonating. It has it on there. In case you don't know, you might not know because I'm not sure you know how to use a computer. You're probably still on cups and strings on how you communicate. Or maybe you still have a payphone in your house or some shit. I don't know. Let me guess. You got a you got a rotary phone in your house still? Probably. Well, here's this here to help you out here a little bit. Okay? Just to help you a little. You can go online or have someone go online that's probably 70 years younger than you. And he could take that thing down for you, senior. Okay? Big Seals is here to help, kid. That's all I'm here to help. What a day. What a day. Angelo, Seth, the Eagles. Mm. <laughs> Let's see here. One, two, three, four, five, six. I don't know how many calls in or let's see. We have <laughs> it could be endless. <laughs> I'm gonna post something too, so <laughs> oh man. Tony on fire. You know what's on fire? Your locker room. That's what's on fire. How are you putting it out? Silencing the media. Silencing them. It's the only way. <laughs> Thank you, Tony. The Eagles media is on fire. Fitness, why shouldn't they be? Don't you want questions and answers? Or do you want to just be somebody that sits there and then you're, you're kind of like sheep? Don't be sheep, dog. And I agree, yeah, it's a five-alarm fire, man. And the only difference is here, the Eagles don't have a fire hose to put it out. So what they do is they come up with little other ways. Well. I can't stop the noise. I'll kill the noise. <laughs> That's what they do. It's just another Thursday in Philly sports. <laughs> Thank you. Are you kidding? This is gold. God, what's tomorrow? What's tomorrow? Man, you know, I got to tell you, one of the most disappointing things that I've seen through this whole process is that our, our, our Howard Heskin has turned into a shill. I really, man, and that's not how that guy built. He's almost like the Philadelphia version of Howard Stern. That guy built his reputation on being a tough guy on the air who got great ratings and not shilling for everybody or anybody. And now, I mean, you know, and get this, 
So he says that the Craig Carton story is bullshit. He turns around in the same interview, I think this morning on IP, and says this. Well, Fletcher Cox, you know, had to talk to Jalen on the sidelines about his demeanor and how he was handling himself on the sidelines. Fletcher Cox. And you're like, wait a minute. You just got through shitting all over Craig Carton for saying something about the locker room with the Eagles and how there's some discord inside the locker room and how people aren't seeing eye to eye with the coaches and the players. And then you turn around and say, well, Fletcher Cox is saying that people had some leadership issues with Jalen Hurts on the sideline, all in the same interview? Which is it, dude? You lost me. I mean, you, you in the same interview, it's the same interview. They're not two different interviews. He starts the interview by, off by saying Carton's full of shit and making it up. Then he turns around and goes, this is what I'm told Fletcher Cox had issues with um, Jalen Hurts' sideline demeanor, whatever that means. This ain't me reporting it. Go listen to it. I did. I was like, damn. I, I, I couldn't believe it. No pub is bad pub. I mean, Phil's our contender in spring training. Good point. Good point. John says, all hail Angelo. Man, when I asked him to come on today, you know what he said for you? Of course. You know, Mike Missanelli, you know what he said to me? You get Angelo on for free? I go, yeah. For free, whenever you want. I go, yeah. Okay. And I was like, is that a bad thing? He doesn't do anything for free. Nothing. And I'm like, um, okay, well, um, thank you. I was like, okay, thank you. <laughs> How about Sills at the center? Oh, oh, I know I am. Truth is, the media puts them much energy into asking the right questions. Good one. Truth is, if the media put as much energy into asking the right questions in the press conference, instead of pissing the fans off with negativity, we'll have a different perspective of the media. Hey, Marshall, how the hell do you think you're going to get into the Novacare Center if you don't have a key fob? By what? Going in there and screaming at Howie and Nick? Like you want me to scream at my guest? So you're holding me to the same on my show. When I get my guest on, you want to know. You you answered your own question. You think people with key fobs at the Novacare Center, which I could care less me having one, I, I don't give a shit. I'm not trying to be your friend. Okay. They're not going to ask. I, I actually, the last press conference, when somebody was it Silky that said it, what's your job then? When he said that, I was stunned. I was stunned when he said that. You know what, too? That Jeff, what's his name? Jeff McClain, me and him have had back and forth. He's a pretty tough guy. 
you know, I think he was right about Gardner Johnson and I was wrong. Okay. I've said that. And I just want to make sure I'm paraphrasing, right? <laughs> make sure I have to paraphrase, whatever that means. <laughs> Big Sills, your legend sometimes in a bully. <laughs> and the rest. What? Is, I'm not a bully. That's not what I am here. I think this has been a fun day. You see, this is when I'm riding high in a Clydesdale. I'm not on a nag. Seals, you're going to be on ESPN this year? Do I look like an ESPN candidate? <laughs> hey, right. Do, do I look like a candidate that could be on ESPN? Me. Okay. No, the guy Paul uh, Dumbowich is more of an ESPN guy than me. Not me. That's not, it's not made for me. That, Paul Dumbowich is a guy who could be on that thing. That guy could be there. Not big sales. Not happening. All right, let me take a time out. Hit the like button. Keep it here National Football Show. bubbles and the bubbly go for the story and the stories go for the win go to ocean casino resort book your trip at theoceanac.com Underdog Fantasy has a way for you to play alongside your favorite football team all season long with their Fantasy Pick'em game. You pick between two to five players, select whether they'll go higher or lower on one of their stats, then do what you usually do on a Sunday. Watch the games. You can win up to 20 times your money 
in a single game by going five for five. It's a fantasy game, and the sports betting show wants you to get involved. Go to underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up, use the promo code WIN, and Underdog will double your first deposit up to $100. That's underdogfantasy.com. Use the promo code WIN. Go for the win. Go to Ocean Casino Resort. Book your trip at theoceanac.com. E-A-G-L-E-S. Eagles. <laughs> oh, yeah. Boss is here, so another, another three minutes. <laughs> Get your takes in while he can. Okay? Get your takes in here, man. Like, honestly, do we think Kellen's going to make Jalen better? Or if not, as good as Dak? (laughs) Oh, that's a great one, John. I hadn't thought of that. So we're looking to make Jalen as good as Dak Prescott. Is that right? That's a great take. That's a great take. That's it. We're going to make Jalen as good as Dak Prescott. Yes, sir. There you go. Ceiling. I get asked this question all the time. What's the ceiling for Jalen? Dak Prescott now. That's who his coordinator is. Ah, John, don't let him tell you it's a dumb question. It's dumb to think he's going to turn him into Patrick Mahomes or turn him into Josh Allen. He's not. But they'll think that off of one year. The one-year wonder. You know, you have like the dynamic duo and the Magnificent Seven, the one-year wonder. Should make a T-shirt with that. Put two on it. Is that his number? I don't care. Right? Thank you, Jason. We appreciate you being here, too. Okay? Hold the choke. Slagger's like, hey, I don't mind him being like Dak, but just hold the choke and we're good. If it gets me in, okay, if he gets me into the Super Bowl again, gotcha. All good. Okay? All good, man. Absolutely. Phenomenal. This is fantastic. What a day. I got to thank you guys. Seriously. And all of you over at the Novacare Center, thank you for checking in. I'm sure I'll hear from you later. (laughs) I'm sure we'll hear later from you. All that being said, Farzetta's on with us tomorrow. We're also going to have the Philly Godfather. Odds on when Nick gets fired. Week three, five, eight, ten. When? That'll be at 5.30. Guys, we're awesome. All kidding aside, thank you so much for coming aboard and blowing the show up as much as you have, and we so appreciate it. And I can't tell you how much we appreciate it. Jill's like, can't deal with this nonsense anymore. This organization's a joke. Q? Let's see how it plays out. Let's see how it plays out, okay? We will catch you. Xander, Big Joe, 
we thank you very much. Thank the folks that came on today, and I thank you for coming aboard. Two to six tomorrow. See you on the flip side.